everybody and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas and I'm here with Aubrey Loveless. I'm Danielle. Hey Aubrey, people didn't like the Hellboy movie so this is it. This is the last episode of the podcast. We're not going to do it anymore. It's been a fun run guys. (laughs) See ya. Hey Danielle, people thought the Hellboy movie wasn't good so I'm going to sell all my Hellboy stuff. It's It's all got to go. One dollar. One dollar for everything. For the whole collection or a piece? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, so the Hellboy movie came out this week. We all went to go see it. So yeah, yeah let's talk about the movie a little bit. It was not well received, I guess, critically. You know, sure. some of the audience scores were a little better. Some people loved it. Some people didn't like it. Right. You know, I kind of fall. I Which think is in generally the, in, the reaction yeah. to a movie. Yeah, so, I mean, you you're know. either going to like it or you're not going to like it, or well, it's just going to be okay. I mean, this is just any movie we're talking about now. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the movie, but I. Really kind of surprised him how the critics are just like slaughtering the movie. I mean, it wasn't like Batman and Robin. Well, right. I think I haven't. That can be answered with simple idea, and that is expectation. I think people just really they really want to see a very specific thing, and when they don't get to see that thing, they feel offended. Right. Well, yeah. I feel like it's it's kind of boils down to three things, and um, you know, I mean, and it all is from expectations. Right. One, Del Toro, they kept bringing him up in the reviews. Uh, well, I, mean, I mean, okay. Two, they thought it was a little too gory. Okay. Right. And that's fair. Some that's people didn't fair. like that. Fair. don't fair. like that. And three, some people just didn't like the music. And it. They, they don't like oh, rock yeah. music. Okay, sure. And as a fan of rock music, I'm like, how can you not like rock music? <laughs> and that all boils down to just personal taste, which is fine but, to say like, oh, well, I personally didn't like this. But then to just put, to go off and... Some people were going off on some tangents like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. And I right. happen to think that that is fucking impossible. Yeah. Yeah. You have had to have seen a worse movie. I mean, come on. In a, in a world where um, fucking Transformers exist. <laughs> oh, I know, right? You're saying Hellboy's the worst movie Well, I kind of, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be, see, I don't want to be a negative. Right. I'm not trying to be negative or rain on anyone's parade. If you liked it, I think that's fine. I think that's yeah. great. But within the first 15 minutes, I could tell, okay, you know what? I have to go ahead and just enjoy myself right. and enjoy what I'm looking at for what it is because it's obviously going to be a very goofy, zany, nonstop exposition, and that's fine. And right. that's what I'm going to watch, and I settled in for that. I, you know, When you do that, when you just settle in and say, I'm just going to enjoy this for what it is, you're going to have a better time. You're not going to be angry on the internet. You know, log off. (laughs) Log off for a while. Oh, I do want to preface that what I'm I'm responding to critics and not to actual real people. Real people, your opinions, you're all valid unless you're a Nazi, then fuck off. (laughs) 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 Because... You know, I guess like you know, because I I, I you know spent the last year crash course reading this uh, right, series. Right, really. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and so I felt like it uh, was way closer to the comics than the uh, the previous two films. Oh, okay. Um, was it perfect? No, right. I, I but I guess like you know what you say, you just got to shut shut down and just yeah. enjoy what because I know it's going to be a movie and it's not the comics. So and I got the comics at home. You're going to get the tone of the movie from the first ten or fifteen minutes of the yeah. movie, and yeah. you understand. Okay, this tone is not the tone that maybe I would have expected. Well, yeah, but yeah. I'm not a fucking director or writer or any of these things. Yeah. I'm a person watching a movie, so I'm not going to... When you have an emotional attachment to something, to art or music or a book or a story, it can be difficult to separate that from this other thing that has been made. And so because you want to see 
whatever this specific adaptation of the thing that made you feel these important feelings you get attached to that and you know expectations get heightened and I'd almost forgotten what it was like to have to do that I haven't exercised that particular muscle in a while because I feel like I've probably been spoiled in a way with all these we've gotten a lot of comic book movies lately and so we get we're getting a lot of that now whereas opposed to the 90s where it was like we got Batman we got yeah (laughs) we got Batman movie with Dolph Lundgren (laughs) and so uh, Blade yeah I understand. I, I saw some of the people were saying, "Hey, you know, these poignant moments we were that they were going for. They didn't really have room to breathe." And I can understand that. And you you've invested in the story, and you but you just have to experience it as it unfurls. So you know, I fucking love Mia Jovovich. I fucking love. Yeah. Um, That's what I was gonna say. What was his too. name? David uh, Harbor. David yeah. Harbor. I love David Harbor. I love Mia Jovovich. I love all these. You know, it's just sit back and and have a good time. And I think on a second viewing or or something, I might even. F- go more that direction and be like ah it's a fun romp just whatever it's fine it's fine i thought all the actors were really great you know i thought that they all did a really good job yeah yeah and i think that it's a movie the the movie is not going to be the same they have to do different things and then you know i tried not to read a whole lot about the movie before it came out because i just kind of wanted to be able to go in yeah i didn't really watch a lot of the behind the scenes stuff or all these clips that people were posting online and this and that after it came out you know i kind of binged all that night and i just (laughs) read everything and i watched all the clips that had been released and all the little promotional stuff and it seems like a lot of stuff that's in the clips or was not in the movie right like i noticed a couple cool little things that i was like oh i didn't remember seeing that in the movie like there was a clip where he's in the shower and they show the hooves they show his foot hooves or whatever and he's like just uh, staying under the water something like that and i was like i didn't see that and then in the trailer there was some other stuff and then i started reading the more that i went down this rabbit hole i started reading all this stuff about apparently there were like there were issues with the director and the director was unhappy with it or there was some sort of falling out between the director and the producers and some of that is alleged and some of it is not and I was and so I think that also factors into yeah, what and, happened uh, with the movie because yeah. it sounds like they had reshoots and maybe people took over from Neil Marshall. Well, and even you know, trying to find out that information oh, was kind of messy because it was like some people are saying this. Some, and people, some people are saying, saying this and, and it's, it's just very... like, yeah, all that is very convoluted, but. You know, people were talking about, and I didn't even notice this either, but people were talking about Neil Marshall, you know, he wasn't promoting the movie and he wasn't in any of, any of the interviews and he didn't go to the premiere. Man, so I knows? think so. Yeah. I think that, that that is also something to consider is like maybe the studio changed it or they said, we're going to do this different direction. We're going to do reshoots, reshoot. Because I noticed that, yeah, there was some stuff missing from the clips and everything. But Okay, so wait, wait, when? has the studio done that and it's actually worked because every time they do that it it, it fails business yeah exactly so i i don't really know but i really enjoyed the job that all the actors did thomas hayden church as lobster johnson was so awesome you know what i mean let's see a lobster johnson movie that would be so cool okay and i I was reading this thing where they were gonna use they wanted to do torch of liberty like in the comic i read about that too yeah Uh, and then mignola was like well that's actually not my character that's john burns character so then they put lobster johnson in there i thought that that was awesome okay lobster johnson was absolutely (laughs) the best part of that whole movie for me yeah just watching him but he was perfect everything about that was perfect (laughs) just busting in looking fucking awesome yeah. killing nazis yeah. saying his awesome one-liners yeah that was a fucking movie yeah oh i loved it when he put the claw onto uh, that was great <laughs> claw was, <laughs> was perfect great. he's like you uh, want to i love the the we, end well 
We're going to spoil this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously spoilers. The end you. credit scene where he's like, do you want to see the claw? And he like just holds it up yeah. and he makes a little buzzing sound. <laughs> so good. Everybody wants to see the claw. That yeah. little, and that banter was so good. They cast him perfectly, too. Yeah, that was great. great. Yeah. Oh, I almost forgot. Daniel Day Kim, fantastic. Yeah, Amazing. definitely. He was great. Amazing. And I really liked, oh, so Grugak, we were saying that Grugak. wrong. So, Grugak. It's Grugak. But, but I thought they did a really good job yeah. with him, you know? Yeah. I noticed on the credits we were talking about this, but there was one guy credited with just his eyes and his mouth. Yeah. Right? Because right. there was one guy just doing all of that stuff. And I thought they did a good job with that. I liked how he had like an Irish accent sure. and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, he would probably be Irish. Yeah. That's, that, that goes along with the mythology and the comic. Yeah. I, I just want to, you know, reiterate the cast was great. I mean, David Harbour, Mila Jovovich, Daniel Kim, And I got to say, man, it was cool seeing fucking Daimyo up on the screen. Yeah. Granted, he's not the same Daimyo as is in the comics. He's a little different, but... Uh, Daniel Kim looks perfect. But Daniel Still, Day yeah, Kim was yeah. perfect. Well, I, I meant like the way that they portrayed the character. Oh, right, yeah. yeah well, yeah. Like but he, you know, like and said, they he's all more did. like a fuzzy hawk. Yeah. <laughs> they all, well, oh, the furry thing. Furry hawk, that's he, what it was. Yeah. yeah. Out of all of this, the only thing I can keep thinking of is, the only thing that's really important to me, honestly, is how Mike Mignola feels. That's all I can keep thinking about. Like, how, how does he feel about this when he saw the movie and how does he feel? And so... That's really all that matters to me because at the end of the day, you know, he kind of kicked this whole thing off. It's his creation. Hellboy yeah. is his creation. And so we all kind of own that. I just wonder, like, is he happy with it? Does he like it? And, and, and how does he feel? And yeah. I did see he had posted some pictures and videos of uh, him getting suited up for his cameo. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, that's so exciting. How fun. You know, he got to be in the wild hunt and wear the thing. And Yeah. Did you see that picture of him? Yeah. yeah. It was, it, the it picture was... of him in the Osiris Club. Yeah. Oh, man. So cool. I, I thought it was kind of pretty spot on because he's like, Hellboy's just standing there and then like to his right is the picture of him. Yeah. How, yeah. how fun and cool, though, when you like create something and then years later you like in this big production with yeah. all the, the whole thing on and it's anyway i thought that was neat and he actually released like an interview didn't he yeah recently about uh, it? that there was a pretty good one and he he talked about how he didn't really read any of the reviews he's not really no, reading yeah. Yeah. why stuff. should he talk about the vulture review yeah yeah that, yeah, that, I read one. that. that was a really that good was movie. a really good one yeah they were saying, did you talk to Neil Marshall? He was like, no, I didn't really talk with him a whole lot. We, we just met like once or twice. There were, He said there were a lot of discussions about Neil and how Neil would be great for this, but um, no real conversations like with Neil. And so he was like, you don't, you don't need any help from me. I'm not going to, you know. And so then he said he did talk to David Harbour quite a bit, that David Harbour was texting him stuff and that the questions were really interesting. Like, um, what did you think about when you created him? What were you thinking about this? And how, how do you... How yeah. do you see him moving? So, and I think that's cool that David Harbour is really invested in yeah. trying to do the best job he can. And I think that we should stop and appreciate that. And um, I like how he said that he was texting him so much. He's like, man, just call me. And then they were on the phone for two hours. <laughs> yeah. well, they, were, they were like, why reboot the movie? And he was like, I don't have any say in these matters. I don't hold the film rights. Right. Yeah. So there's no, you know what I'm saying? This was going to happen no matter yeah. what. Yeah. And so it's not that he's got, it's not his call. You know, if, if if I were him, and I'm not him, but if I were him, I'd just be like, hey, just run with it. Cool, whatever. And maybe that'll get people interested in the books and reading the books and things like that. There's people saying, oh, if you like this movie, if you've never heard anything right. about Hellboy, if you like the movie, you should come read these books and maybe you'll like these too. Yeah. And so I think that's cool. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I think um, there are a lot of positive things that could come out of this, even if you don't have a positive feeling towards the movie. I feel like, you know, even if you didn't didn't like it as a movie, you can still find positive things about it. Like, 
really all I'm concerned with is how Mike Mignola feels and how um, it doesn't actually like like you were saying at the beginning, it doesn't really affect right what you think it affect like it. I don't know what people are thinking. Like the books aren't just going to burn and disappear right. in a puff of smoke. <laughs> like they're still there. Right. And if you like the old movies, go watch them. And if right. you, I see no reason to spread hate and negativity right. over. Just don't watch it. Then I yeah. guess I don't know. Yeah. Just it's yeah. You don't I to- have to watch I, I, it. I totally agree. And the last couple things I want to say about it is, you know, I did see a Twitter post by Jimmy Piamati. Is that how you say his name? Sure. I think he's the top cow guy. Okay. Um, but he was saying. You know, one of the reasons that people should go out and support this movie, too, is it's a creator-owned yeah. uh, character, and you don't see that a lot. No, you know, yeah. with oh, all the Marvel true. and the DC movies, those are big corporations that own these characters. Right, right. And Good this point. is a this is a one guy created this character that now has a movie. Sure. And that's, a, that's a kind of a... A third movie. A third movie. And that's a big deal. It is. You know what I mean? And so if you, wanna, if you want to see more creator-owned stuff, you have to show Hollywood that, you, that will support it. And I was looking at this post that Mia Jovovich posted on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, that was a good post. It was really yes. good if you follow her on Instagram. And she said, uh, she talked about how you just have to absorb all the negative reviews. That showbiz, baby. All I'm going to say before going to bed is this. All the raddest films have been slammed by critics. Days and Confused, The Fifth Element, Zoolander, Joan of Arc, and the Resident Evil movies. She got so much hate for all those movies, yeah. but they turn out to be like... Cult classics. Cult classics, Every exactly. single one. And this one will be two. Why? Because of the amazing actors, because of Mike Mignola and Neil Marshall. I mean, one critic said, it's a loud, gory mess only a teenager would love. Hell yeah, hell boy, let's have some fun. Sure. There are teenagers in the night. world. Yeah, like, exactly. So. I mean, yeah, so I think that's a very positive yes, uh, take on all this stuff. And, you know, I'd like to go see it again. You know, sure. I'm going to continue to support the movie and I'm going to buy it when it comes out on Blu-ray sure. and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I would like to see it again. And, yeah. You know, and, you know, Kathy had to, you know, sit it out because she got sick, but I'd like to take her to see yeah, it. Yeah, we should definitely go see it again soon. Now, would I want to see a movie that had maybe a different tone? Sure. Do I have millions of dollars to make that happen? No. So maybe I should shut the fuck up right. about it. Like, I, if I want that kind of tone, I can read these books. I can read the comic books. But yeah, no, going back to the Mijovich post, um, Fifth Element's in my top five. Oh, and man. She, oh, yeah. she was saying It's one of my something... top five so- soundtracks, yeah. too. She, well, yeah. But yeah. she was saying something about when the movie came out that to have seen what the critics said, you would have thought that it was the worst movie of all time right. and everyone hated it. But everyone I know fucking loves that movie. Oh, yeah. I so. love that movie. Man, I remember when that movie came out, there was like no Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Sure. So I feel like it's just the critics are just more in your face People these are days. too right. online. Uh, <laughs> but man, The Fifth Element was such a good movie. I know. And so was the Resident Evil films. I haven't seen all of them, but I enjoyed the ones I yeah, did see. Yeah, I like those movies. It's one of those you just have to watch it for what it is yeah, and have no exactly. expectations. You just enjoy it and hang- and have a good time. Well, talking about all these like scenes you said that didn't make it into the film, it makes me wonder if there's a cut that... Like a four-hour cut? Oh, we there definitely yeah. is. Somebody well, was even talking about that online. There has to be a four-hour cut to this movie. There's where... probably two separate movies in this movie. Yeah, really. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Maybe they'll release like a director's cut or maybe Neil Marshall would. Yeah. I, I would like to see that. I, I'd be interested to see. I didn't like all the choices that were made, but right. like I said before, I'm not a, I don't have millions of dollars. I'm not a movie producer or director, so I really have no 
reason to be griping and complaining. Yeah. It's it's, well, it's a movie. I really also did enjoy the creature designs, especially that one dude that pops up that kind of looks like a butthole or something. <laughs> <laughs> With the arms, and then he said, dude's... Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was... um, What that reminded me of is... When Nimue is giving her speech, you know, they got that speech straight from the Wild Hunt. Yeah. Right? Where she's like uh, yeah. speaking she, to all the... How did she manage to get so much gravitas Yeah, in that character when the rest of the movie is such a goofy... She did a really good job. I can't yeah. believe... She really walks that line. She has to be... She has to be like the straight... You know, she has to play it straight when all around her... This goofy stuff is going on, and she carries it off. She does a good job walking that line. But in that scene, they showed all the monsters, and they were all, yeah, or whatever. And there was a frog monster. Did you see a frog monster in there? What? It like like flicked its tongue and got something out of the the air or something like that. I was like, oh, shit, that's a frog monster. Oh, you know what? I was just like, oh, man, look at that frog. Like, eat that, um, I think it was like a fairy or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was more frog-like than... Well, I mean, it didn't click to me that that was a frog monster. It really made makes me want to see a bprd tv show because that way i feel like you could really explore the themes of we have talked about this before and i Hellboy. agree with you yeah. yes yeah so I, I really it really makes me as much as i would love to see something like you know the salt and sea monster up on a fucking imax yeah. screen I, i'd feel like the bprd really needs the game of thrones treatment yeah i don't know if like i could complain and i could criticize but What's the point in doing that? It just adds negativity to the world, and I just would prefer to not do that. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. Yeah. Positive energy. Positive energy only, man. Yeah. I guess so. My, one more thing I'll say is, is sure. like, I enjoyed the movie. If you didn't enjoy the movie, that's cool, too. So everybody just be cool on, about it. Yeah. Be happy. <laughs> yeah. And the comics are always still here. And that brings me to the next thing I was going to talk well, about. And, yeah. I want to say thank you, Mike Mignola and literally anyone else who's ever worked on the books and all the people that worked on the movie. I saw that you worked hard and you love what you do. And I think that's super great. Yeah. And I want to encourage that. And yeah, we're all one reading Hellboy comics, talking to our friends, and then sometimes watching movies. And sometimes watching movies. Yeah. There was a read Hellboy hashtag on Twitter and people were kind of, I think it started actually with Gabriel Ba, who's, uh, who was the artist on our episode last week. He was tweeting some of his favorite moments of working on Hellboy and cool, how he loved Duncan cool. Figueredo. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then Mike Alred started, posted something also. And then it just kept going and going. There was a read Hellboy hashtag. So yeah, I thought that, that was That's really cool. cool. People were talking about how, That's you know, nice. I, I think it was kind of, in a little way, I think it was kind of a subtle back lash to the backlash of the movie where people were uh, like yeah. you know trying to say like hey you know the for everyone that didn't like the movie the comic is amazing you know i kind of i kind of thought of it as more like they were trying to seize the moment like there's a lot of attention on this uh, right yeah. now yeah. maybe we could get more people interested in, in these books while we have the world's attention sure. on hellboy like hey come support all yeah. these people that worked on these books, come sure. come check it out, you know. And there were a lot of really good ones, so I jumped on there and and put a hashtag for it because that's that's essentially what we do every single week. Us. We read, read Hellboy. Mark Tweedo also shared our post, and he said, "Oh yeah, hashtag read Hellboy," and then join the conversation with the Hellboy Book Club podcast. I don't explain it anywhere near as well as Danielle does. So <laughs> go ahead. Do you want to tell any new <laughs> listeners who might be here tuning in to listen to our movie feedback? We're gonna read Hellboy. And then what we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to tell you what we're going to read next time. And then you're going to read it, Hellboy. And you're read along with us and you listen to the podcast. And then 
you write the hey damn guys you say hey damn guys and you we, <laughs> then we talk about we talk about what you talked about when you're reading hellboy comics and you're talking to your friends Back to you, John. All right. Awesome. Go check out Ross Radke. He finished his opus of Hellboy drawings. I don't know oh, if you guys were man. following that. Oh, my God. They were really amazing. Hell, yeah. You got to check them out. Th- those were really good to see popping up on my feed all the time. Yeah, yeah they were really good. good. And I like how it was not just like the one. It was like you swipe through. You see like a different I know. It's, oh, like he, you, it's like you see his flats and then his. Uh, yes. Yeah. His that leaks. was really good. Yeah. There was one in particular that I really enjoyed. It was that scene that we keep seeing where Hellboy. And Kate are saying bye, where he's telling her that yeah. he's going to quit and all that stuff. Yeah. But then he added a panel of Kate walking away because we always see Hellboy yeah. walking away, but then we saw her like walking away in the foreground, and it just like yeah, it fits so perfectly. Like yeah. I could see that being yeah, it was a logical extension of that scene that was just really I don't know. There was something about that that really affected me, so I really enjoyed that. Make sure to check out Ross at R T R A D K E on Twitter, or you can find him on Instagram also. He wrote on Twitter, I basically sleep the entire day of my first night off each week. I work four on, three off, 12-hour days, an hour drive, get home wired, draw to settle down, then lose track of time, and suddenly I've got less than six hours until my next shift. Also, check out our pals at Mignolaverse.com. Alex Aronowitz, who resembles Rasputin. I don't know if you've seen yeah. anybody like He kind of has that <laughs> big beard. He has a great article on his favorite Hellboy short stories. So go check that out and follow all their awesome content. And now we're going to move on to our listener feedback. I'm still thinking about that Lobster Johnson scene, man. <laughs> oh, so <yeah>. good. <laughs> it was really good. Hey, you damn guys. Is that... We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Paul from Gardahar. Oh, hey. He says, Hey You Damn Guys, great episode as always. I love the 1940s series so much. The reason I'm writing was because you were asking listeners if they knew where we'd seen the Nordic-style statue before at the end of the oh, last yeah. story. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's reminding you of Morgan Le Fay's chessboard from The Wild Hunt, Storm and the Fury. It absolutely Yeah, is. that's what it was. Oh. And a couple of other people also jumped on that and, and commented on that too. And Mark Tweedo actually said that it was the Perrin statue yeah. of Perrin. Yeah. So okay. um, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. He also said, also, I love Oda Benga and how Danielle immediately got the dual overlaid reality thing when he's casting out the evil spells. It's a great storytelling device. Yeah. The comprehensive world building of the Dark Horse Mignola team never ceases to astound. And we also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Matt Strachbein. Matt Strachbein. Hey. Also uh, a good artist. Great artist. Yes. Yeah. Check, check out Matt Strachbein's stuff. Yeah, he's at Friends of Strachbein on Instagram. He says, you got to appreciate the way Mignola and company handled Hellboy as a little kid. And I do mean kid. He may be demonic in appearance, but otherwise he's a regular boy. It isn't until the stuff in the Midnight Circus that starts to mess with him that he starts thinking about being anything else. Sure, he has some instinct that he's different than other people, but that's how all kids feel at some point. Anyway, I love the young Hellboy character of 1946 and 47 so much because of his sincere innocence. Poor bastard, what a screwed up life he has ahead of him. 
I wouldn't mind if these comics went back to that era again or launched a series about Hellboy as a kid during the late 40s, where any supernatural stuff that happens is totally off his radar. I mean, who doesn't want to see Hellboy running around playing Lobster Johnson with Mac all day? Absolute pure joy. Cute. That would be fucking adorable. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> that would be great. Like I'd a little to... cartoon short, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I also want to thank our pal Brandon Wilder. He offered to get us some of the Hellboy beer. Aww. But we found out that it is super illegal to send beer to Texas. Yeah, don't yeah, do that. So but don't thank do you. that. But Very thank you so sweet. much. He sent me a message. He was like, man, there's a store that has some. Do you guys want some? That is so, so thoughtful. Anyway, thank Wait, you for that. Wait, explain this uh, illegal thing. Yeah, so I was, oh, I was I was reading this thing that Texas has really strict liquor laws um, stricter than any other states, yeah. and you can't. You can only get stuff sent here through TABC distributors. So, ah, okay. it, so like people in Texas can't even join like wine of the month clubs and stuff like that. People had like wine delivered all the time in my last job. Yeah, they're probably from other Texas places, but yeah. out, but if it's coming from outside of Texas. A lot of times you can't unless you have a distributor who is is doing that. Well, so with it all the hell, different... with the Hellboy wine, I was able to get that shit right. here because that certain company is a TABC yeah, approved exactly. distributor. You know the, the the dumb thing is is we could just drive to fucking Washington, pick <laughs> some up and bring it back. We could fly and bring it back. Yeah. Sure, yeah, we exactly. probably could. It just can't I mean, be mailed. Yeah, that's just so. Well, the cool Dumb. thing is that sometimes if you ask like a locally owned liquor store to be like, "Hey, we want some Hellboy whiskey. Can you order a case?" Right. and then we'll, you know, we'll pick up a couple bottles and they'll what, they'll do it. Yeah, so. what I've learned is it all depends on the distributor. Yeah, yeah. So so that's weird. Anyway, so dumb. <laughs> Your dumb laws are preventing me from buying stuff. People. Yes, <laughs> I want to spend my money. That's the stupidest part. Capitalism. Like, you know what I mean? I'm trying to give you my money. Just take it. We had some feedback on BPRD 1946. Ryan Yule said, Vivara is one of my favorite characters in the Mignolaverse, and her interactions with Professor Broom are always the best. A few years ago, I inquired about the original art pages from BPRD 1946, which contained the first appearance of Avara, and I was told that all of Paul Azaceta's pages from the first issue were destroyed in a flood. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, it was very sad news to hear. I mean, imagine how the... Being an artist and yeah. having that happen, too, that would be just so tragic. I know, and that's a great issue, too. I would love to have some of those pages. So thanks, Ryan. It's good to hear from you. Uh, well, I hopefully he's recovered from that flood. I mean, yeah. now I'm kind of worried. Like that's That was awful. years ago. Yeah. So Still, I mean, you know, with Harvey and everything, people are still picking yeah. up the pieces. Uh, I was just actually hearing something today. They're saying that uh, natural disasters affect you for for years and years. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, long, long time. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing that every day here in the city. <clears throat> And Mark Tweedell said, your discussion about Vivara's voice got me thinking about how people read voices in the comics, <laughs> particularly the animal-like characters. When I imagine the werewolves talking, I don't imagine any lip sync. The mouth simply hangs open and they speak in a guttural voice that comes from their stomach. Other characters, like Nimue, when she becomes a dragon, aren't a literal voice, but rather a sound in the mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right there with you. Right there with you. For like sure. It. And um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen. I don't. I can't explain why I've seen this cartoon. I like cartoons. Okay, yeah. I'm just gonna say cartoons it. are great. I, I like love watching cartoons. cartoons. I like watching animated things, which are different from cartoons. There's a difference. There, there, there really is. And I like watching both, though. I'll watch the She-Ra cartoon. I think it's great, and I know it's for little kids, and I don't care. Yeah. I'll have it on while I'm doing something else, and I think that's fine. Anyway, is it, is it good? 
It's great. Oh, I haven't got around to watching it yet, but I, I, it's it's on the list. <laughs> it's fucking good. If you have kids, show them that cartoon. Anyway, I don't know if you've ever seen Clarence, but Clarence has a friend. I don't remember his name. Uh, I don't actually like watch the show. I'll, just, yeah. like, ha- I'll have it going while I'm doing other stuff. But like, that's he's, a great cartoon. It is. He's got a friend, and he talks like this, and he's kind of. It's kind of a weird <laughs> little. I kind of imagine like I have no idea what little tiny baby kid Hellboy talking with that guy's voice. Is what is his name, John? Are you looking this up? Yeah, I am actually looking this up because <laughs> I love this cartoon. Uh, what, what is this cartoon? Clarence. Where do you watch it? Clarence. It's on Hulu. Yeah. Okay. I've never heard of this. It's. Yeah. Is it Sumo? Is his name Sumo? Sumo? Yeah. He kind of talks like this. He's voiced by Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. Fucking of Tom course. Kenny. Of, of course. course. Yeah. I kind of feel like that's what. Tom Kenny would be a great little Hellboy. That's how I hear tiny little Hellboy. Um, Man, I really just want like a little like Hellboy cartoon. Baby Hellboy cartoon. Yeah. So but, fun. But, but like 30 second shorts or something. Yeah, little shorts. Anyway, Wait. that's my little cartoon tangent. Yeah. Sorry. Cartoon tangent is great. Some feedback for BPRD 1947 when I posted the teaser. Joshua Worley said, Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon. This was my first real exposure to them, and they did not disappoint. I immediately went out and got Pixu. I guess that's one of their other words. Oh, interesting. I can't wait for them to come back around to the Mignolaverse. Since the short story in the Winter Year special, I've been eagerly awaiting an announcement for the next series with Anders. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later. Drew Campbell said, Having been studying German on Duolingo, it recently occurred to me that Anders, while as a name usually means manly, in German it means changed or different. There's no way that that's a coincidence. Yeah, I thought that that was really cool. Jerry Turnbull, he pointed out that the Countess... Ayana Kakasi, uh, we saw her before in the Virkola. The Virkola. Yeah, and I posted that as part of the trivia this week. So thanks, Jerry, for pointing out that detail. He also posted the first appearance of Hellboy's pal, Archie Moraro. And so we'll see more of Archie in this story. Ryan Yule said, I've been a bit behind on the podcast as they are released, but now I'm finally current and started this new one on my commute this morning. This is a great story. I love the artwork by Ba and Moon. We also get the first appearance of Simon Anders. Yeah, so people love Anders. I love him too. He's a great character. IAV Studio. These are the guys from Interactive Artistry. Now they've changed their name to IAV Studio. He says, I'm sorry, but Mignola and the Hellboy universe is just on a completely different level of artistry and cohesiveness than anything from Marvel or DC. It has to be said. It's like a beautiful, curated, consistent experience and story told from all these different volumes, and there truly is no end to what you can explore or dive into for many years to come. But there's no excess for excess sake. As Danielle put it in a recent episode, it doesn't feel like every new issue is made for profit or just to put more product out there. Right. It's done because there's a story to be told, and honestly, I'd frame it like this. The Museum of Modern Art should think about putting some real art up for display there like this and many other phenomenal and routinely underappreciated Mignola illustrators. I think that Mignola actually did have a at, collection in, at the... Um, at the MoMA, I The think. MoMA, yeah. yeah. So oh, hey, that's there cool. you go. He says, keep up all the excellent work. As always, you damn guys, with all enduring love and support from Aussieland, Albert from IAV Studio. Yeah, awesome. thank you. Mark Tweedell said on Twitter... Yeah, Broom certainly kept a few things from the Bureau. We see those same files Vavara gave Broom in 1946 show up again in Seat of Destruction number one. Yeah, so I'd forgot about that. Remember, she gives him the folder with Rasputin's information and all that at the end of 1941. Mm, We see that same file 
at the end of Seed of Destruction number one, and under Rasputin it says name unknown, but he knew who oh. it was. Right. Do you think that Broom changed it just in case Hellboy kind of Exactly, upon it? yeah. And so that's what Mark Trito was saying. After all, Hellboy was studied by scientists extensively in 1945, and during this time, Broom grew close to Hellboy and ultimately adopted him. Broom saw the fearful, ugly side of the government, the same side that would later lead to a bomb being stuck in Roger. So I feel like he kept things from Hellboy because he saw him too much as a son and didn't want to give him that burden, and he kept things from the Bureau because he'd seen what fear could do. Mm, yeah, I thought that was yeah. a good point. Okay. He also says, I think the curious thing about this era is that the supernatural is not given yet. People can rule it out as superstition and such. It's not yet a matter of public record. Hellboy's existence has not been announced to the world. Things are different from then on. So I think the BPRD was largely considered a joke. The 1947 crew don't seek out a bureau job. It's where they end up stuck. As for Russell, I don't think he ever seriously thought he'd see much real supernatural. I figure he thought he'd landed an easy job where he'd get to meet a bunch of kooks. Oh, okay. okay. That makes that, a lot of sense. Yeah. That really does. Yeah. He says, when they arrive at the chateau, I think they all move very quickly through, oh shit, this is real, to, <laughs> okay, we've been trained for this, get the stakes. No, that's a great point. I, I really appreciate that interpretation of yeah. it. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, I, something I just didn't click to because we've been... Um, but then, of course, that even comes up in this next uh, yeah. story we're going to read. Like, you mm -hmm. know... That's why you yeah. have a book club. That's why you read it with your friends and your friends tell you about what they thought. And then you read it together and that's the book club. Yes. And to go along with that, Mark Tweedo had some really good feedback. We were talking about this. We were wondering why they... Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon, how they, yeah, how they really divided curious. up the duties. Yeah. I was really curious duties. about it. And he said, I got to talk about the art because a huge part of why I love 1947 is because of the interplay between Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon. Ba is drawing the real world. Moon is drawing the vampire that is world. so fucking cool. You were, all, ah. you were all discussing how Andrews went to the library, but then later they said he never went to the library. So what happened there? Right. The answer is in the art. And he said, so he posted pictures. If you check the Twitter thread, you can actually see the pictures of this uh, played out. But when Andrews leaves the pub in the sequence drawn by Ba... And then he wanders out into the street, and then in the in the panel, the background is by Ba, and the foreground is by Moon. And then on the next page, it's all Moon. So that as he's really walking, cool. as he's walking awesome. through the streets, the art is actually transitioning. And thank you on, so much for that insight. That is so cool. Yeah, and on issue five, when Oda Benga is in the other world, and then in the as an old man, yeah. it's switching yeah. back and forth between the two artists. That is so okay. cool. Yeah, so I thought that that was amazing to that point awesome. that out. I think that's <laughs> and, awesome. And he says <laughs> with uh, and he says this is a little spoiler, but he says for next week's uh, reading, where we're going to read BPRD Vampire. This will help you get more out of the comic's visual language as you become more aware of it. Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll see a little bit more of that. Great. When I posted about the vampire apocalypse, the two different versions that we got in The Sleeping in the Dead and then in the 1940s BPRD, Ryan Rollinson said, this has such great parallels with the non-Hellboy series Baltimore. And so uh, maybe we'll get to Baltimore someday, but that is a really cool kind of, it's more of just vampire hunting. I've seen all your Baltimore books. I haven't read any of them, but they, I know that you're, you really like it's, them. So it, I'll, it's I'll amazing. have to get yeah. into that. Yeah. Is it, uh, is it Mignola? Yes. It's written okay. by Mignola and Christopher Golden. Very cool. And um, it's really good. And um, Stenbeck, who we've, we've enjoyed his art on Witchfinder yeah. a lot. 
he does the art for a lot of the Baltimore series. And then also, I want to thank Todd Bialas. He always just comments with a thumbs up. And those keep me going throughout the week. So thank you for that. He was like, it's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So now we're going to get to our book club story for the week. We're discussing BPRD 1948. This one was published as a five-issue miniseries from October 2012 to February 2013. With art by Max Fumada. The issues feature covers from Dave Johnson. So I don't think we've seen Dave Johnson's work before, but he does some awesome covers. And he's going to do some other great covers for us down the line. I actually got to meet Dave Johnson a couple years ago at Conk Palooza. And I didn't get a sketch from him. I really regret that. I had him sign a bunch of my BPRD issues, but I did not get a sketch from him. And I'm like, damn, I should have done that. Um, So if I ever meet him again, I'm definitely going to do that. And then one of the covers is also a Year of Monsters variant by Mike Mignola. Nice. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Clem Robbins. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> it's like seeing, it's like seeing, uh, you know, it, it, uh, on an X-Files episode, it's like seeing executive producer Chris Carter. Oh, yeah. It's a oh, yeah. friendly, warm, yeah. welcoming I was thinking thing. on the Twin Peaks where it Twin says Peaks. starring Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah. yeah. I always yeah. see that one, yeah. Or, or like executive producer Dick Wolf. Yeah. Or something like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> And this story is by Mignola and John Arcudi. Chapter one, and wait, yeah, this... Wait, wait, wait. Remember, we did see that John Arcudi did get credited with Daimyo in the movie. And so did Guy Davis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. It was like literally the very last credit or something like that. I guess it was all the way at the end, but it said... not make a big shit over stuff they have no idea what they're talking about. Seems like, <laughs> seems like a good uh, lesson to learn. Right. Maybe shut the fuck up until you actually see the thing. Yeah, so we have an awesome cover to issue one by Dave Johnson. I love how he draws Vivara on this issue. Okay, so I, I do the not. Page. Oh, sorry, no, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I do not like this, but not because it's like not good art or something, because it's too scary. Right, it's too scary. <laughs> it scares me, and I that is yeah, which I guess makes it very good, right? Because yes. that's what they're going for. Yes, like I want to make something that's disturbing. And they succeeded at doing that. So, so I turn the uh, I turn the page. I see this cover, and I'm all like, "I fucking love this cover." Yeah, it is so amazing. I just said, "Oh no," because it looks very scary. Is she flying on a mushroom cloud? Right. Yes, with a demon coming out of it. We open in September 1948, and we're in Fairfield, Connecticut. So now they've moved into the Falling Water building for the first time. Yeah. And we see Anders, and so immediately you see Fumata's style, yeah. right, oh, with yeah. Anders, because we've already kind of gotten to know Anders a little bit, and the way he draws him is so cool. Well, this guy looks yeah. like he's having a rough go of it. He sure is. He's, he's been looking like that <laughs> he's lately. He's not having a good time. Yeah. And this guard is kind of sick of him being there. He's yeah. like, man, you gotta you gotta go do something well, he's, else. No, he says it really nicely, yeah. though. He, he's, he's, very, um, I don't, he's very non-confrontational. He's like, hey, you know, you can... Go into town if you want to. Right. You like, can, you're not stuck here. Yeah. You know, I'll open the gate. You know, don't forget your ID badge, man. Like, he's yeah. trying to be a pal. Yeah. And then I think that it, Andrew's response, obviously, some, we, we realize something's up right oh, away. Yeah. He's just like, oh, I don't need you to tell me where I can go. Rude. You know, and so. <laughs> and then he flicks the cigarette at him, right too. Right the so guy. Rude. So terrible. So. It's really not nice. And so. You know, maybe something's going on there beyond just regular grumpiness. Yeah. We get the impression that he's he's really on the edge here. 
Yeah, and he's giving this guy a hard time, and it kind of pans up, and we see that Broom is watching this yeah. from his window, his and he's like, poor Anders, I don't think he's adapting well to our relocation. <laughs> <laughs> and he's talking to Vavara, and she says, Anders has changed, he has storm inside heart, you'll have to watch him. Maybe you are sorry now, Professor. And he's like, for what? I, I worked to save his life. And he says, human life is precious to me anyway. Oh. Yeah. And she's like, but not to me, eh? I am not the one who has taken in Demon Child, or who collects dangerous, damaged human souls. You are a strange little moth, Professor. You can't find enough flames to burn your wings on, so you'll light your own. Jeez. I thought that that was a really great quote, yeah. and I, I really Harsh. like... Yeah. And I really like on the art, with, especially with the color, how she's kind of like fading right yeah. there. We kind of see how she's kind of disappearing. Oh, yeah. So um, so she's kind of always there. Right. That's what they talked about in the last one. And he can kind run. of just start talking to her whenever. Yeah. And that is kind of weird, and I would be so upset by that <laughs> and <laughs> when she disappears he just puts his hand over his face oh, like that I, yeah. I love that last little panel yeah really most amongst us has not done that <laughs> i really enjoy this picture of um the professor and hellboy yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, thank bitty, you for, thank you for little point- bitty horns yes so thank you for cute. pointing that out so this is the same picture that's in the background of that Duncan Figueredo sketch that we've seen before where it's um yeah. it's a picture yeah. of Hellboy with Abe and Liz and Kate. Yeah. And then in the yeah. background is this picture hanging on the wall. I think we also saw Guy Davis do a version of that too. Cute. Thank you for pointing that out. I mean, but of course, you know, I love I love little baby Hellboy. Yeah. <laughs> we jump forward in time to June nineteen eighty three and we're in Illinois. And this guy, he's like interviewing this older man, Mr. Yesler. And he's like asking him about his wife. And we see this big poster behind where they're talking. It says Ryu in 72. And so we've already read the story. So we know that this is one of the characters we're going to get to know. Yeah. But I guess like we get the sense that she's no longer around. Right. For whatever reason, you know, she's passed and he's being interviewed about her. And apparently, you know, she made a lot of significant work. You know, he talks about she how... She gave a speech to the UN and all this about stuff. About ballistic missile proliferation. And so I had to look all this stuff up. And so ballistic missile proliferation is this kind of idea that missiles get spread all around and you can't control it. You know what I mean? Like, there are so many different kinds of missiles and rockets and other countries and other governments just get their hands on them or they get their hands on the technology and they start making them people keep making them and so there doesn't um, need to be this much fucking goddamn nukes everywhere shit right and she and he says it scared the hell out of brezhnev a lot of folks think that's what got him to sign salt one and so salt one during the 1960s the united states learned that the soviet union had embarked on a massive intercontinental ballistic missile buildup so then Nixon and Soviet General Secretary Leonid Brezhnev signed the ABM Treaty and Interim Salt Agreement on May 26, 1972 in Moscow. This was the first time during the Cold War that the United States and the Soviet Union had agreed to limit the number of nuclear missiles in their arsenals. And negotiations for a second round of SALT began in late 1972 because SALT-1 did not prevent each side from enlarging their forces. Literally no one should have nuclear weapons. Literally yeah. no one. 
And another thing that they mention, you know, because he's like, well, you know, she made people understand the danger of atomic weapons. She could never understand why everybody doesn't see the danger of atomic weapons, which is something that I am also like, what the fuck? And right. so we we see these magazines on the table, and they're kind of talking about, like, it looks like they're talking about the dangers of nuclear power and stuff right. like this. And so this is in 1983, and so in my research, I did find that in 1979, just four years prior, was the Three Mile Island accident, which was a partial meltdown of reactor number two of Three Mile Island Nuclear Generating Station in Pennsylvania. On March 28, 1979, it was the most significant accident in U.S. commercial nuclear power plant history. The incident was rated a 5 on the 7-point International Nuclear Event Scale. Just to give you some idea, a 7 is like Fukushima or Chernobyl. So weirdly about that is I, I don't think I actually remember Three Mile Island when it happened because you know I was only five, right? But right. I do remember my parents watching a made-for-TV movie about Three Mile. Island oh, okay, when right. I was a kid, but I think that came out in like probably like in '82. Probably, <laughs> yeah. So, so around this time, there was a lot of kind of people were starting to fear this stuff right. a little bit more. It was in the zeitgeist. There was a lot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I like how that lines up with the history. Well, and then also I do, in '83, I do remember, you know, seeing these like Time magazines in the, yeah. you know, in houses and stores or... And I, I remember all of that. And, you know, I'm leading all the, you know, Reagan and uh, Gorbachev signing their, their treaty. Right. And it's just weird because it was a weird time. Yeah. I don't in. remember a time in my life when I wasn't scared shitless of yeah. nuclear explosions. Yeah. For me, it was Terminator 2. Oh, man. That movie scared the shit out That's of me. That's exactly what like, I was thinking when I said that, too. I was not. I don't think I was old enough to see that movie and my dad took me and my yeah. brother my brother's yeah. my brother's younger than me we went to go see this movie and we loved it i mean it's one of the best movies ever but like that stayed with me yeah. like for a long time i don't think i was the i think i was too young to see some yeah. of that stuff i had um my, like my mom had a vhs of it so i would i i remember i i will never forget the first time i watched it the nuclear explosion scene that yeah. has haunted me ever since and it is that's also top five, by the way. That movie oh, yeah, is, that's I mean, a, incredible yeah, yeah. movie. But yeah, which is just it's just a testament to how effective yeah. that film was. The people who worked on that film yeah. and the, you know, whatever. I guess it's James Cameron, right? Yep, yeah. James so. Cameron, Linda Hamilton. Yeah. But like that the, other guy. The, <laughs> the effects and the storytelling and all of the just the way that that was treated in the narrative within yeah. the narrative was just very it was very effective. So that. I mean, we all know the scene that we're talking about with yeah. the, where it explexplodes, and it just—I mean, that really fucking had an yeah. effect on me that yeah. I cannot shake. Man, I say, by the time that movie came out, I guess I was already in my my mid-teens, and so I was all like, "Whoa!" Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if I if I had been like nine when I saw that, I probably would have been like, "Fuck!" Yeah. <laughs> but back to the story here. So the reporter he's asking Mister Yesler, you know, why don't you start with how you and Anna met? And they bring in the lights, and so he's like, it's going to get pretty bright. He clicks on the lights, and then there's kind of this flash, and then we go back to 1948. Love this transition. I yeah. Love the transition of the bright light. And, he... and so we're at Carmelo Air Force Base in Utah, and we see this team. They're watching kind of a nuclear explosion in the sky, right? We're going to learn later that they're yeah. testing um, nuclear-propelled 
aircraft or something, a capsule, right? Because he says right here, let's see how the capsule's doing. So then we see Dr. Ryu, and this is the same doctor that we saw on that poster, and this is kind of who they were talking about in that interview. And she says, didn't any of you see it? That strange disturbance just after the explosion. And this one guy, I forgot what his name is, Freeman, I think, he says, I should hope so, Dr. Ryu, that was five kilotons of disturbance. What a, <laughs> what a anyway. fucking... What a jackass. That's and clearly s- not what she was talking about. <laughs> And so he's like, hey, we're going to come celebrate, you know, cuts to them outside. He's like, you should come over to Kaler's Tavern. Did you guys catch that? They're in Utah. Morgan Kaler. Oh, fuck. Lost and Gone Forever. I didn't catch that. Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Kurt Russell was in Utah. Kaler's Tavern. And they're going to Kaler's Tavern, Morgan Kaler. They're in Utah, which is the same place. Yes. Amazing. Just glossed right over that fucking Yeah, detail. I totally didn't even catch that. That's awesome. But I love her response. She says... That's I... why it's a book club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I know them, Dr. Freeman. I know them as sober men. And I don't care to know who they are when they're three sheets to the wind. <laughs> I love that. That's that's a probably good advice. And so then later we cut to this scene and we see these officers, these Utah officers, and they find this wreckage. And they're like, tell the captain we found it. So they were looking for some missing men, and now they found this car. It looks like it's been pulled apart. And so these guys, um, they're trying to get a photographer out there, and they're kind of looking around. And then all of a sudden, one of them, we see this giant shadow coming up. I love this pacing on the page before. One of them just gets swooped up, scooped up by this giant monster. What did you think of this flying monster here? This monster was fucking insane looking. It it looks like it was split down the middle, and another monster took its head right i don't know with all the tentacles it is fucking creepy i love it yeah the design on this is amazing and fumara does a really good job and it kind of reminded me of that flesh moth thing that we saw in bprd the dead but with some hair but with yeah and the (laughs) tentacles yeah well it has more of a bird face i think than like that thing that thing more had a bug face i think and and then the veins yeah and the wings it's really cool yeah and again uh dave stewart doing awesome job with the colors oh yeah and so yeah we see this thing just attacking these two guys and um as it comes down this is such an awesome like scary moment as it's like flying down and that you get the sense that it's moving very quickly mm-hmm. and it's just like sharp you know what i mean it looks like it's just gonna like impale this guy on its beak thing or whatever um just a really great monster design and then the final panel with it's just like you right on its eyes yeah we get this scene of the professor we see broom he's being driven up to this facility in utah man it's like almost every panel in this could be its own full page spread yeah you know like this top this side it's just like wow (laughs) it's really nice and they mention colonel betts and we're gonna meet him later but also going back to lost and gone forever remember the betts hotel or something or they had shot like all the holes in the oh yeah 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 it said betts on there well, I mean, I guess just, these families have just lived yeah. there, and they just stay there. They're, they've been there for so long, yeah. but I, I I like all those little details. But that's actually pretty cool. Little I mean, Easter eggs, yeah. Yeah. And so we cut over to Colonel Betts, and they have all these crazy pictures. And so you can see, like, I guess when the photographer got out there, that's what they were doing right before they got ambushed by it. So I guess they got some evidence, and I like this, like, big bird claw thing and all that kind of stuff. 
So, Broom, he's telling the colonel that he thinks the Air Force is better equipped to handle this sort of thing. But the colonel says they don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So, that's why they've brought Broom in here. And so, there's this scene where he brings Broom outside and they're kind of talking about this classified project. And then Broom sees Dr. Ryu. And he's like, just a minute, that woman. And he kind of looks at her and he's like, oh, she's very pretty, isn't she? And very smart. Come on, I'll introduce you. He's taking Broom in there to meet her. And we cut over back to the BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut. We see this guy, Archie. He's looking for his smokes. Well, hold on a second. Isn't this like like a different angle from uh, what we've seen? Yeah, yeah. It is a different angle than we usually see on this thing. I I feel like we're on the backside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got a point. You were saying that he's looking for his smokes. He says, any of you he-men swipe my smokes. And he-men is in quotes. So I have to feel like he's referencing He-Man, although He-Man wasn't fucking invented until the 80s. Oh, no. no. Anachronism. I'm quitting the podcast. The podcast, (laughs) this is the last time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Um, actually. Yeah, I wonder. I I, I was also wondering. uh, (laughs) My actually moment. Good job. Uh, I was also wondering, like, did people say that? Was is is he man? Did they get that from something well, else? Well, we that saw though, but to... we but we saw on the thing. Uh, oh, on the had, toys that the made toys us. Toys that made us thing that Which is the great, guy by the was. Way, yeah. yeah, it's great. But it is kind of cool to look at the history behind all these these things. Anyway, he was saying I wanted a real manly name for the toy. I well, he's a he man two <laughs> things that show that he's a man like that's what he was saying that's how he came up with it right. basically it's the most basic of fucking explanations for this name he man and then he started naming all of them like that like you know snake man like, snake man yeah, yeah. And they're then, all... uh, stink man and then sea man they're like no 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 we can't, yeah, we can't do that one merman yeah <laughs> This guy, Archie, he was looking for his smokes, and one of the guys says, who the hell would want your Chesterfields? <laughs> and I looked this up. So Chesterfields, right around this time, too, in the late 40s, they were becoming very popular because Humphrey Bogart yeah. smoked yeah. Chesterfields yeah. in his movies. And he was the first actor to kind of smoke those specific cigarettes. And I think in one movie, he even has a pack. He even shows, like, the package of it. So they were starting to become popular around this well, time. Well, that's, I mean... That's tobacco uh, advertising. Well, that's yeah. one of those things that people are like, oh, advertising in movies is out of control. It's been happening since the beginning oh, of yeah. movies. Oh, yeah. And so as he's looking for his smokes, he comes across Mac and he's like, hey, champ, what are you doing back here? And then he sees little Hellboy and Hellboy's smoking the cigarettes. Aw. So this makes me t- think that this story takes place after the Midnight, Midnight Circus. Circus yeah. In the Midnight Circus, he steals that pack of smokes for the, to smoke for the first time. Well, this is kind of an insight into like his habit that. Oh, he... this is 1948. Okay. Yeah, so maybe this yeah. happened right before, right before this one. Yeah, I like thinking about that. But I mean, it's kind of sad to think about. He kept that habit through the rest of his life. Oh, like he, oh God, yes. he's always smoking cigarettes and cigars in every single story. And it's, <laughs> this is where it started when he was just a little tiny oh, kid. You know. Okay, so my mom is born in '48. Sorry, mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that means he's been smoking for seventy. 70- one years wow sadly that's how it starts so a lot of kids they're like oh i want to what's this all about and i sneak a cigarette for my mom or dad's pack of cigarettes and then they just smoke forever right yeah i mean we have a we have a friend like that but it also made me think because like in uh 46 and 47 young hellboy was all like 
eating fucking pancakes and throwing the ball and yeah. Yeah. noodles and shit like that. And here, first time we see young Hellboy again, it's after the events of the Midnight Circus. Yeah. And so yeah. we've known he's gone through some shit now. Right. He's starting to, yeah. you know, that that's what I was talking about this earlier with, with Aubrey. He had like two good years of being a fun little kid Aww. and then things started to get sad. He had a couple years. Yeah. And I love the way Fumara draws little Hellboy too. Yeah. It's such a great take on this character. And his horns are starting to grow out big, too, as you can see. Yeah, they're like fully all the way around. And Archie just slaps the cigarette out of his hand. He's like, God damn it, kid. What's the matter with you? And he talks about how they're going to have to send him back. You know, he's there with all these scientists. And um, I like when he says, uh, what do you think is going to happen if they find a pack of lung dusters in your back pocket? Well, it's his specifically, his cigarettes. Because he smokes a really yeah, specific yeah. brand and no one else smokes. And so they're going to be like, hey... You're uh yeah. You're, you're supposed to be watching this and kid. You're yeah. fucking now. He's smoking, and it's your fault. And so okay, so I mean, but it is 1948, and when you had doctors advertising, you know, cigarettes yeah, for asthma and shit like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maybe he thought that they would help him, and he's like, "You were a lot easier to keep tabs on when a stack of pancakes would nail you to the mess table for an hour or so." And little Hellboy's like, "That's kid stuff. Aww, that was a year no. ago. <laughs> You're four years old." I like, it. I like what he says that you are four years old. Oh my god! Well, yeah, I mean, like, but you always see young kids being like, "That's for babies." Yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah. They want to be so grown. And he mentions that Hellboy's growing up really, really fast. And he's like, "It means that you got to be more responsible now." And he's like, "That's what the professor says." I like, Aww. I like thinking that the professor is telling him stuff like this. I like how he draws Matt because he draws him just like a. That's what like a, dog a dog would be yeah, doing, yeah. like <laughs> wagging his tail, getting in your face, and trying to <laughs> lick you, and just being happy in general. As long as someone's patting him, like you know, yeah, it's yeah, just cute because dogs just love attention. That's how dogs. That's yeah. how dogs are, though. Like as long as you're. Hanging out with them. Right. They're, they're good. They're good to go. Oh, man. I woke up with three dogs surrounding me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and Archie mentions, he says, I'm the only civilian here. And all the scientists and spooks, they don't like me much. They figure me as a gold brick. And so this is a slang term that was used around this time. And a gold brick means something that looks like it's valuable, but it's really not. Mm. Okay. And so he's saying that that's how they see him. And he's like, they're going to send me back to active duty if you keep doing stuff like this, so don't give them one red or you'll have one less friend around. As in don't give them an excuse. Right. Yeah. And he's like, and me too. And I like that little moment where he's like, you're not going to have a friend around and I'm also not going to have my friend around. And that's and yeah. Hellboy kind of like is sad when he says, you're not going to have any friends around. And yeah. Then, but when he says, and then I won't, right. Hellboy kind of looks up yeah, and is, like oh, that. right. Well, that's what you mean. We're friends and you yeah. love me. And that's, yeah. I thought this was a very, very sweet, sweet, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice moment. moment. Yeah, we cut over to the scientists, and they're all meeting Broom. Yeah, this guy's name is Friedman, and um, he meets all these other guys, and then he meets Doctor Ryu, and he says, "Now I remember, I read your thesis on wave mechanics in the Planck Journal." And so, in the first scene where he was like that woman, and the the colonel thinks that he's like, um, oh, she's very pretty, right? But he actually recognized her from a research article that he read, yeah, and has like you know some respect for her. Yeah, I thought that that was really cool. That's pretty, that is pretty cool. Yeah. And for those of you wondering, Planck time is the measurement of the expansion of the Big Bang. Oh yeah, <laughs> thank you, Aubrey, for that. I didn't hey. know that, but Planck is for Max Planck. And he was a German physicist, and he has a lot of stuff named after him. 
but I was looking specifically for this journal. It's the Mac Planck Society for the Advancement of Science, and it's a formally independent, non-governmental, and non-profit association of German research institutes founded in 1911 as the Kaiser Wilhelm Society and renamed the Planck Society in 1948. So that's this year, in honor of its former president, theoretical physicist Max Planck. The primary goal of the Planck Society supports fundamental research in the natural life and social science, the arts, and humanities in its 84 Max Planck Institutes. Yeah, so very cool. I just like looking for stuff like that. When I see oh, the yeah. name of that journal, I'm like, I have to find that. Well, when I when I read that, I was just like, oh, man, I, I had that one bit of knowledge. Of yeah. That they say like, like one second contains like a million trillion plank time oh wow that is so awesome <laughs> that's how they measure the uh the events that would happen from the big bang up until like a certain point in the universe and it's right mind-boggling to think about and um as they're talking freeman comes up and he mentions their project it's called project enkelidos and enkelidos is uh, sometimes used as another term for Enceladus, who was a Greek giant who battled Athena in the War of the Giants. And so he mentions their research. And so earlier we saw them watching that explosion and they were talking about the capsule. And now we kind of see what that looks like. Professor Room is talking to this Dr. Zednik. They talk about how... In a nuclear explosion, a lot of wasted energy is thrown out there, and they're talking about how you can, like, focus it, right, and use the blast from the radiation to propel this rocket. Okay. Yeah, and he talks yeah. about the yeah. he he talks about a pusher plate, and a pusher plate is the technology that Dr. Ryu came up with, and this helps kind of push the energy out. And so all this is actually based on real nuclear thermal rocket technology it's a proposed space propulsion technology they were actually experimenting with this kind of stuff but then they stopped doing it because the risks if something nuclear was going up and it exploded you know they did several tests to kind of see what that would be and it's you know pretty bad so you know the uh, cassini probe that went to saturn there was a nuclear engine on the um on the ship and before it actually made it to saturn i remember it, like had to go swing around the sun and it flew by earth and people were some some people were freaking out that it was going to like rain radiation oh, down oh yeah wow. and i was just like um so tell me more about this engine how does it work <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah for sure in 2013 nasa marshall space flight center was simulating thermal rocket fuels with the interim goal of developing a nuclear cryogenic propulsion stage in support of the space launch system the project goals hope to see the rocket stages twice as efficient as their chemical counterparts propelling crewed missions to the moon, Mars, and beyond. And in October of 2018, Russian Research Center confirmed a successful ground test of several key components of a nuclear space engine. So this technology is still, they're still kind of exploring these ideas. So for these scientists to be working on this in 1948 is kind of, you know, I think some of this stuff actually did happen, but it seems like they're a little bit ahead of the curve because pusher plate technology and stuff like that is stuff that they're talking about now in the research today. Mm. And as Broom is talking to the research team, he kind of likes their idea. He says, weapons employed peacefully. It's wonderful, and I see why it's classified. And then he says, I have a more difficult question. If you've set off a nuclear bomb here, has anyone considered that this creature's appearance might be related to that? And so he started bringing up this idea that he says, in my field, you see unusual things, 
things that defy logic or physics. Behind him, we get this great montage by Fumara. We see Herman von Klempt. We see this kind of vampire image, robot gorillas that we we always see. And then this like mouth crazy teeth thing. I was thinking that that's that monster, that starfish monster from, right. what was oh. that story called? Uh, exactly. And what shall I find here? And there's and a what little. What shall I find there? There's a little thing, the symbol that they have in the wild hunt on their jerkins. Oh yeah, yeah. You're talking about the, um, the that skull. Osiris Club. Yeah, thing. the skull yeah, with the laurels on it. You're right. They're hunting. Yeah, smocks. so I I just love this montage and it kind of <laughs> we've already read like a lot of Broom stuff. He's got his own like adventures. You know, I like how it can <laughs> yeah, make, yeah. it can make reference to all these other things that he's seen up until now. The spooky adventures of Professor Broom. Yeah, and he says it's become my habit to look for connections where others refuse to see them. We get a little foreshadowing uh, mood shot here of just her face without, right. without any dialogue, which I think is fitting. We cut to a scene with Dr. Ryu, and she's watching something on the monitor, and she's just like clicking it over and over again. And as we kind of see, she's looking at the explosion. I love this. It is so creepy. Yeah. Like, it just really, my imagination ran away with this. And I was like, yeah. what, do I see something yeah. back there? Like, what the fuck? Like, and it seems so real also. It seems so grounded. I love when supernatural yeah. stuff is yeah. is like that. And it's kind of scary, too. Makes it too. so scary. Yeah, yes. it's very scary. Makes it so scary. And I just want to point out on the panel layout, it's... Uh, you get this top panel here and then the two and then, you know, how it goes. Agree. It, oh, yeah. It almost like, so you got the explosion at the top and the way the panels go down the center, it's almost like that's kind of simulating a yeah. mushroom cloud. That's great. It really is. Good job, Aubrey. Yeah, it looks great. And you can just see, and the, also the way that it's laid out, you can see that it gives you a sense that this is continuing for a very long time. She's there yeah. all night. Yeah. Looking at it over and over again. Uh, oh, like went through it frame by frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This cover for Chapter 2, again, Dave Johnson doing an awesome job with this cover. I like the thing that she's holding, and it just looks, it's yeah. just so cool. Yeah, We cut over to the desert, and we're just kind of thrown into this action scene. We see Stegner from the last story that we read, 1947, and we also see Anders, and we see some new guys. One of these guys is named Kayo. And they're fighting these, like, what are they, like it's, bear monsters? They're okay, like, so it looks like a cross between a rat a monkey, a bear, a saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> it does. So, something like that. Right, yeah. And it's kind of like a weird mutation, kind of like what we saw with that flying creature earlier. And we get some awesome splash pages by Fumara. He really does a good job with the motion of this thing. Oh, yeah. And I love these angles, like kind of like these weird camera angles. It's very cinematic, yeah. yeah. I like the way he draws the landscape. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's hard to yeah. well, it's hard to draw a yeah. landscape. I mean, it is. So yeah, yeah I, I I appreciate that as well. It's yeah, detailed where it needs to be, and then it's not detailed where yeah. you don't need it to be. Exactly. Yeah. As they're fight, they're shooting at these monsters. Anders just goes in front of everyone. He just like goes at them, and they're like, "Hey, what the shit?" Right? They're like, <laughs> "You're in our line of fire." Anders just goes up and starts uh, shooting at it on his own. So Stegner, he runs up and he kind of tackles Anders out of the way. And this allows this other guy, Kayo, to be able to shoot the grenade launcher finally and blow these things up. And this is all really cool. And so, like, you know, Stegner just basically saved Anders' life, yeah. gave him out of the way this thing. And he's like, Christ, look what you did, Stegner. He's got, like, a scratch on his arm. Oh, damn it, Anders. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's like, are you serious? And so, yeah, Anders, we continue to see, like, he's kind of unhinged. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> we also get the sense that um, this happens a couple times, but this guy, Kayo, he really depends on Stegner. And he's always asking him, like, what should I do? Stegner's like, you've got the grenades. You really need me to tell you what to do next. And then he notices that Anders is walking off. He's like, fucking hell. <laughs> And I love the beginning of this next scene. His room is asleep, and then he just wakes up, and he finds Vavara, like, right in his face right there. That third panel is so funny. Well, I thought it was he woke up because she said his name. She's like, yeah. Professor. Like a cat or something. Like yes, that. exactly. <laughs> we don't have cats, but a friend of mine is constantly going on about her cat will just totally step on her face at three in the morning. <laughs> oh, well, I have dogs, and I have, they each they have... They do that, too? They have their own different ways, but they're all <laughs> quiet you know oh, like okay. it wouldn't wake you guys up right but it wakes me up <laughs> <laughs> and the professor he's like vivara can't you give me a little peace she goes you looked very much at peace and he's like yeah a couple days off from the office has been good for me and she's like you can't lie to me dear professor is in love and he's like you really came here to bother me with this vivara's like oh you're doing interviews with all the other scientists and today you get to interview the lovely dr ryu is very serious your work she is a good match for you professor together you would make smart pretty puppies <laughs> only i don't think so and she walks out and as professor goes out she's gone well, i like how she refers to uh humans having babies as puppies yeah because <laughs> she you know she's like this ancient demon right from, from another right. plane of existence that's her context for yeah. it and this officer that the professor meets out here, his name on his badge says Yesler. And so if you remember from yeah, the nineteen eighty three, that's the old man that's being interviewed. Stegner, he's getting he's really irritated with everything that Andrews did out there and he's like venting about it. He's gone bull goose on me. Yeah. Stegner's like, if Broom ever wakes up, because they're saying, Why don't you, you know, uh tell the professor and, and Stegner gets the idea that the professor's like he's uh his mind is elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Broom comes up, he comes up right then. They start talking about what had happened where they were shooting those bear sized things. And Stegner brings up this stuff with Anders and he's like, I don't want him on my crew anymore. He almost got himself killed out there. And so just then Dr. Reed comes up and broom kind of shuts off stegner to go with dr ryu which is exactly what stegner was complaining about when yeah. he walked up he was I mean, like broom's not awake and then this thing happens too and this last panel where stegner's like what like he's got his arms out like what the hell yeah. as, as professor That's walks great. off with dr ryu yeah I, I have to say i feel i feel stegner's pain on this yeah. one because i was like you know he's talking about a real serious issue and then doc's all like well, I feel like he almost uses the moment because he's like... He, this wants, is, he wants to get out of the conversation? No, but he almost does like a little power move, I thought, where he's like, this interview's on schedule, I can't talk about that. And no further reconnaissance until we figure this out. Like, he gets to be a little bit of a boss in front of her. Yeah. And then yeah. as they walk off, he's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, that's maybe that's not no, an optimistic absolutely way. What's going but on. I felt like he used that, that is... moment to also, not only to rebuff Stegner, but also to be like, I'm the man. Oh, yeah. This interview oh. is on a schedule here. And yeah. And you know what? I'm the boss. We cut to Dr. Ryu, and she's showing the professor this image. It's that same footage that she was obsessively watching the night before. And he's like, I don't have your trained eye. I can't really make anything out. And they have this moment where they get like really close, right? It's kind of one of these awkward moments. He's like, that yeah. I find out of the ordinary. But again, this is not my field. So they kind of like, they get really close, but then nothing happens. 
And kind of their expressions, too. I kind of feel like the way that she's holding her face, too. Well, and then she ends up kind of gaslighting herself because she's like, well, maybe I'm just imagining things. Right. She doesn't trust herself, even though she's like a super smart scientist lady. But nobody's seen it either. Yeah. So she has some sort of... um... Well, and her, I think her mind is in a different place than the rest of the guys, as we've seen the other scene that they're like, yeah, "Yeah, let's go celebrate. We're going to have some beer. See? And then she's like... Uh no. no. Right. This is actually oh, then, very serious. And then she did also spend like all night looking through it frame by frame. Right. So you're right. She's totally gaslighting herself. She's kind of she doesn't trust herself. Maybe right. she's used to people undermining her, so she's uh, just kind of giving I mean, up on she's, herself. She's a woman scientist yeah. in the nineteen forties. But I also like just to cut back of the design, we're we're reading this in the omnibus version, and in the omnibus version, right after the title page, it'll have like a little picture. Yeah. For issue one, it was the picture of her watching the explosion. I thought that was really cool. When you read it on the second time, you're like, oh, that's the moment that she's seen this disturbance or whatever. And that's why her expression is so concerned. Yes. And uh, but Broom is quick to say, I didn't say that I don't believe it either. He says that she reported seeing something before the other researchers disappeared. And at the Bureau, they worry about people reading into things after they've happened. But because she reported it before... He's like, you know, he feels that it bears further investigation. And she's like, whether or not I'm crazy? And he's like, perhaps, but I meant the anomaly you spotted. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, maybe, you know, maybe there's something unusual at the blast site. And she goes, well, no one's been out there since the night of the test. And he's like, really? Well, then the sooner the better. And he grabs his coat. I like this last little panel as he's like, I think here he's also trying to impress her a little bit. Well, and he also gets to spend more time with her. Yeah. Which is definitely what he wants. Yeah. Even though he's supposed to meet Stegner after dinner, it seems like he forgot about that plan. Mm -hmm. We cut back over to the bureau and we see Archie with Hellboy. It looks like they just got finished playing basketball or something. Yeah, I like that. And I like how how she consistently calls him Peanut. Right, Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. And Hellboy goes, nothing but trouble, angel face. She's like, angel face? And Archie's like, he didn't hear it from me, honest. And so she asks if she could have a moment with him. Little Hellboy goes off with the basketball. He's really cute going off with this thing. I like I like imagining him like dribbling it with the right with hand the right of doom. Because <laughs> he says, uh, you know, I got to talk to Margaret for a second. Why don't you go play for a little while? Right. And so I think, yeah, that's super adorable. But then he immediately like so, gets all what you gross talk about? and like has her. Yeah. Oh, it's really not cool. And so I, I like this, too, because uh, he, he thinks that she wants to talk to him about something personal, and she but she actually has a mission for him, right? Yeah. She mentions that President Truman is coming, and he's supposed to stop and meet Hellboy, but since the professor isn't there, she's like, he's still got a great chum here, doesn't he? As long as he's with you, he'll be comfortable. So you will be seeing the president, and not looking like that. Start shaving again, get your dress blues cleaned and pressed. And do try to keep angel faces to a bare minimum. She just walks off. I kind of like that yeah. moment, too. That was yeah. a good little moment for Margaret. Yeah. She doesn't have as big a role in this one as she did in the last story, but I like we get to see her again. And this double page, Fumara splash with this crazy Trinitite stuff or Keladite. Yeah. I really love this. And so I tried to look for some pictures of what Trinitite actually looked like at the Trinity site. Yeah. They're yeah. kind of hard to find, but... 
it kind of looks a little bit more like it reminded me more of like dried lava or yeah. something like that. Okay. It yeah. was more like kind of spotty. It didn't look as much like waves like, like glass. this. Yeah. yeah. But I really love this. I really love this page and I love the idea of this stuff. Seeing this in live action would be amazing, you know, something oh, like yeah. this. Oh, well, yeah. and you did didn't you um you actually got Oh yeah, so we were talking about this. This uh I really love this series. I talked about my love for the 1940s series and I want to say I really love this one a lot. And when the ser- when this story was coming out, when the issues were coming out, it just really, my imagination ran away with this stuff. And yeah. I was like, it made me interested in looking for Trinitite. Yeah. Because that's kind of the, it's the same kind of material that is featured in this story, where they call it Enkelidite. So I started looking for Trinitite on the internet because I wanted to buy some. <laughs> And it's kind of hard to come across. Yeah, well, it's um, very rare. Yeah. It's very yeah. rare and it's expensive. But I did find this little educational kit. It said for educational use only. And it was like some little scraps of it. Little like tiny little, pieces of it, yeah. Little tiny, like small, like gravel sized, yeah. you know, little pieces of it. And so I do have that. I put it in like a little test tube yeah, to make it look cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll take a picture of that. But they're very, very small. But yeah, I well, got you it. Also, you but also... I but I got it because of this comic. Yeah, I, I was I went out and searched for it because I was really obsessed with this story as well, it was coming out. The involvement with the specific material in this story is yeah. really yeah cool and really intense. So it's cool to have that around, you know. Yeah, like a shard. Reason. A shard of this would make a great skeleton crew replica, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so when we when I got to this, and like I I actually didn't know that Trinidite was a thing. Oh, okay. But like. As soon as they said what it was, my brain immediately go, of course, that would happen if fucking nuclear bomb went yeah. off there. Yeah. And they eat and the, you know, it would definitely do something to the sand. It's like when lightning yeah. makes glass in the sand. It's like that, except with nuclear explosions. Right. Exactly. It's very... I, I didn't go down the rabbit hole like you do where you end up owning some, but <laughs> I was like, man, that's some cool shit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, again, I just, I, I really love this story and I love this idea. I love these historical fiction elements. They really kind of pull me yeah. into the story. And he talks about radiation readings are low. So, yeah, because I did look that up too. I was like, hmm, do I really want to own this handle? kind of stuff? What I read is that you get more radiation standing outside than you do In the sun, right? than you do from a piece of Trinitite. And the part, the pieces that I have are so small, I'm sure that it's probably hardly nothing. Probably, probably don't carry it around in your pocket. Right. And so they take a piece of the Enkelidite with them. As I, I like how like they, she goes, um, Trinidite for Trinity, but this is, we're in Enkelidus, so Enkelidite. I, I like how she ends up naming it. She's all like, yeah, then we're going to call it this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to name it. Yeah, well, she, I mean, she's a scientist, so scientists yeah. do that all the time. She says, we'll take it back to the lab for testing, but aren't we really searching for something more tangible like footprints? And the professor says, that would be nice, but it's wise to be on the lookout for more subtle clues. And just then, this giant monster jumps out. (laughs) How's that for a subtle clue? And Fumara does an amazing job with this this monster design. Yeah. It is really cool looking. So she goes, shoot it. And he's like, I don't have a weapon. And she's like, what? So he, like, pulls this piece of, like, rebar. So I was wondering... This rebar and all this stuff that's in there, is that what was holding it? Like the apparatus that held up the thing? Oh, I I would assume so. Right, something like that. And so he takes this rebar out. He makes a good go at it, but the monster just bats him away. He doesn't really even get to hit it with the thing. 
And then it also hits Dr. Ryu and she falls in all the glass. And then the professor screams out for her. And then just then this thing gets shot in the head. And the motion of this, too, is very, I don't know, it's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, no. It's just... A lot of kinetic energy in that shot. Well, I mean, it's like all this crazy shit is going on, and then you turn the page, and bam! Right. And it's, what's Yesler. his name? Sergeant yeah. Yesler. And so he had been sent by the colonel to keep tabs on them, but to be discreet. The professor goes, five minutes ago, I think that might have insulted me. They're, they have Anna's to take... in bad shape. Yeah, she's, she's got a big gash on, the, yeah. on her face. We cut back over to the headquarters, and Stegner is still waiting for Broom for dinner, right? But he doesn't know that all this other stuff has happened with Dr. Ryu and them going out to the launch site. And they mention that they haven't seen Andrews since the morning. Stegner just says that Andrews is a liability, um, having him around. The sooner he ships out, the better. And we cut over to Andrews, and he's in the shower, and we see that scar that he has from... Otabenga's ritual that locked those vampires that we read about last week. And then we also see that they're still booming the door. They're still trying to get out, right? It's almost like um, the booms could be lining up with his heartbeats. Oh, yeah. Because like, the scars were like right, on, right in the center of his yeah, heart. Yeah, I like chest. that. I like that reading on it. And this is just a really cool, very well-paced scene. There's no dialogue or anything. It's just yeah. this one page devoted to giving us this this moment like if you were to like see this in like a movie you would probably start closing in and you start hearing his heartbeat right yeah boom. yeah yeah i like that and then we cut over to this really gruesome Gross. shot right oh, all these people were like hellboy's not gory and it's like yeah this stuff is in the in the stories a lot wait so but but this is an autopsy. There was so much gore in all those BPRD stories. Yeah, too. It's so yeah, much I mean, gore. So <laughs> much. Jaguar just tore people up. So much gore. And this, the Hellboy movie had so much BPRD in it. Like, how could, I mean, yeah. how could you say there's no gore? There's so much gore. Maybe they should read the comic. Maybe they should read the comic. <laughs> uh, they're watching this autopsy take place. Disgusting. Dave Stewart had a real fun fucking time with I know. this panel. <laughs> and the colonel, he's like, all right, Professor, what's the word? You're the expert on things like this. And Professor's like, no, not on things like this. Not at all. It doesn't fall into any supernatural categories I know of. And a bullet can kill it. It's very much of the material world. And for this, this guy... Guy's, this guy's voice... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this guy's voice, I just... I can't... I don't like this guy, first of all. Freeman, so I, yeah. I can't help but hear his voice be like... Uh, I'm not one to jump on the flying saucer bandwagon. That's not my way. It's just like the most fucking like oatmeal eating motherfucker. I, I was I was actually picturing the voice of uh the guy in um Ghostbusters. Which guy? Uh, Walter Peck, uh the EPA agent who tried to shut him down. Oh yeah, that guy is irritating. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember what he sounded like. But oh, yeah, me neither. But yeah, I, I can hear it, but I can't say it. He's very... But that take is also very good. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Ryu, she says, I think you're wrong, Dr. Freeman. I don't think these creatures are aliens at all. Oh, wait, did we mention that? He thinks that they're aliens. Yeah, Yeah, he's talking about how he's like, oh, maybe they're aliens. And she's like, "Uh, these... She thinks that they're related to the atomic tests. Right, and she says, I think they're from Earth, but not our Earth. Parallel worlds. Yeah. Chapter three, yeah, these covers, they do a really cool thing with the color, too, where it's, like, very limited on the color, but it kind of just makes everything stand out, like the green on the monster's eyes and on their goggles and on the tentacles. Man, it's just, like, each one is just, like, 
fucking amazing. Yeah. You know, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of got this, it, it feels modern, but it also feels like it's 1948. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I totally that. get that. I totally get that. Yeah. I guess the modern is the fact that it's like a modern layout, but the design is 48. Right. Yeah. And so as we open this chapter, we see Simon Andrews being a dick again, right? <laughs> right. So he uh, he came in on this guy's pool game, and they're like, we had this. We were playing, you know? And he's like, I'll be finished in two minutes. How about a little breathing room? So this guy grabs his wrist, and then Andrews just takes that to totally as an excuse to just totally beat up all these guys. And I love this panel. He turns around and he says, nothing you do is ever going to come close to what I've seen, what I've done. You're just men. And he cracks this guy over the head. But when he's saying that, you see those two vampires behind yeah, him. Yeah, that's a really good panel. But it's the versions of them in the real world where they were like these weird monster things. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like, we're, we're talking about him being a dick because he is actually like a dick. But I mean, he's really actually suffering from some PTSD well, yeah. stuff yeah, right there. Yeah, he really is. And it's really kind of interesting. I think know? it's also implied that um, the effects of them being... Like part of him, right? Are seeping into his. Oh yeah, totally, totally, totally. They also like totally Pers- bit him all over too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know because I was just thinking, like you know, I mean, back in like the forties, forty eight, you know, there was there was no thing called PTSD. It was like shell shock, or right? Sure. And they didn't really know how to treat or deal with it, and so. Right. And so it's kind of interesting how we're seeing this play out in a kind of a supernatural kind of way. Right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah. we also have to remember that Andrews did get stranded out all the time too yeah. you know so first he went through that then he went through this thing been through a lot. and so he really has been through a lot and i i really want to take a moment to say you know i'm really glad that you mentioned that stuff about ptsd because i did say that he was being a dick but a lot of times when people are being what, what you think is a dick or what you think is inappropriate it's really because something else is going on yeah. that maybe they're not able to deal with for whatever reason because they don't have the resources or the money or they just haven't gotten to that point yet in their lives, but that is a thing. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to make light yeah. of PTSD because um, it really does affect people. And if you had been, even in the missions that Andrews was in before anything supernatural right. happened, yeah. <laughs> you probably already have PTSD. So thank you for pointing that out, Aubrey. Yeah, you never know what someone's going through. So yeah. you should always kind of give give people a little extra, you know, benefit of the doubt sometimes for sure. Dr. Ryu, back with them in the autopsy, she says, I've been telling Dr. Freeman here and the others that the night of the explosion, I saw something, something beyond the flash of the bomb or the shock waves, something that looked to me almost like an opening door. What if it was an opening? What if these creatures passed through that doorway from another Earth that exists right alongside ours? An Earth where biology took an entirely different course, where carbon dioxide instead of oxygen is processed by animals, or where blood wasn't even necessary. And then our atomic explosion somehow disrupted the membranes between these parallel realities. And what did you guys think of these Fumara creature designs? They look horrible and weird and fucked up, but then they also do kind of look like what she's describing, like could, could life could evolve to look like. On right, a parallel world. Also, like how it refers to um, the membrane between the parallel parallel realities, because according to, I think it's like string theory. Um, okay. Right. Parallel worlds are separated by some sort of cosmic membrane. Wow. <laughs> 
And we see that bird thing, that flying creature crossing through that membrane in this last panel. I really like this idea of just like space opening up and there's just kind of this this thing where it can just pass through. And I just love this artwork. I love how they're like, let's just take one page and just show all these fucking monsters. (laughs) You know what I mean? And with the white background, it really makes it all stand out. I just really enjoy just like taking a moment and just looking at all these different guys and just being like, how fucked up is that? <laughs> I mean, because like you got like, what is it, like a vulture looking thing? And that looks yeah. like a cat with six legs. <laughs> and there's like a gorilla thing. A little like, there's like a little squirrel wombat guy. <laughs> and looks like a rhino elephant with two trunks. <laughs> yeah. And so the colonel, he's like, he can't even comprehend this. He's like, first you're talking about flying saucers and now this. The colonel mentions that they've blown up a lot of atom bombs in the last three years. Why would this one be any different? So this stuff hasn't been showing up everywhere. Well, before that, this fucking guy is like, I know quantum mechanics is your field of expertise, but this is a distortion of those theories. (laughs) She's like, a distortion of the theories. What the fuck are you talking about? He's like, but what he says, I know that this is your field of expertise, but let me tell you (laughs) what that is. And it's like, wait a minute. What the fuck are you even saying Right. right now? And so she kind of defers to the professor. She's like, do you think that this is an insane idea? And he says, no, not at all. We cut over to Hellboy and Archie. And Hellboy is super pumped that he's going to meet the president, right? I love this panel where he jumps up and it's just the silhouette. He's like, hot damn. (laughs) (laughs) I also love how Fumara draws his hand. It's so big on this, on the little kid. kid, Like it's always been that size and he kind of grows into it, you know? Um, I just really like that idea, and it kind of seems uh, really focused on here. Yeah. But then, in, so when he says "hot damn," he jumps out of his chair. He's like, "Yeah." And listen, uh, can you chill out on that? Marge is kind of mad at me with that mouth of yours. So. Yeah. And Hellboy says, "Well, I wouldn't curse in front of the president." <laughs> and I love the. I just want to focus in on this where he says, "And I wouldn't." So. This looks like, to me, this looks almost like a perfect Mignola version of a little Hellboy. The way Mignola draws Hellboy, just that little where he's looking up at Archie, that profile right there. I just really love that. That is one of my favorite panels of little Hellboy that Fumara does. One of my favorites is at the bottom right here. Oh, yeah. So we get this moment where Hellboy tries on the hat. Archie says, you'll be fit to meet the King of England himself. And Hellboy says, forget that stuff. I'm Air Force through and through. I love that. He is the King of England. I know. Yeah, that's what I'm... All of that. I mean, I love the little foreshadowing thing or referencing, but I also like how he's like, no, man, I'm Air Force. But then um, (laughs) I like how he says he'll even dress up for the visit. He's getting all excited. Yeah, and so he tries to put on the hat, and it's just, like, kind of nested in between his horns there. He can't even really put it on his head. But he's happy with it on. He's smiling, and he's kind of like, look at me. And he looks so fucking cute. Yeah, and Archie just starts laughing at him, right? Because he can't even, you know, the hat doesn't even fit with these horns. And Hellboy's immediately hurt. His hurt little face right here in this panel. And he just runs off. And Archie's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Come back. We cut back over to Dr. Ryu and the colonel and all of them talking. And he's like, well, whatever your theory is, wherever they come from, we know that we can kill them. And in the Air Force, we call that progress. So Dr. Ryu leaves out. 
and the professor comes after her. He's like, there's quite a bit more about your theory I'd like to hear. In fact, I have some experience with exactly this sort of thing. Perhaps we can discuss this over dinner. And so just then, the colonel asks the professor for a word, and so he's coming to talk to him about Anders. And we cut over to Anders. He had that fight in the pool hall. And we see him all beat up and he's like being held in this room. The colonel mentions, I've got a sergeant and two corporals in the infirmary. Broken nose, cracked ribs, possible wrist fracture. This happened at Kaler's Tavern. My MPs got to your boy before the sheriff's office. Frankly, I'd love to let them have the dirty punk. But seeing as you're my guest and the professor thanks him for holding on to Anders. He comes in to try and talk to him, but Anders just kind of rebuffs him. The professor says, I wish there was something I could do to help you. If you could at least talk to me or to someone. And Anders goes, someone? Come on, professor, be a man. Say the word. Tell me I'm a goddamn psycho. He says, being this way, how can anyone help? And he points to the scar on his chest from Otabenga's ritual that trapped those vampires. The professor says, you're locked down until morning, but I'll see to it that you get your things before you leave. Then I guess we're done, Anders says. So they kind of split up here, and Anders, I guess, is gonna he's going to quit. We cut over to Kaler's Tavern. Dr. Ryu is there to meet the professor, and she runs into Yesler. What's this guy grabbing this lady's face in the foreground? Oh, yeah. Camera? Didn't they used to do that? I here, don't here, know. That is very weird. Yeah, that is weird. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I'm not. Don't grab my face. Yeah, I don't like that. That doesn't look. That doesn't look comfortable. No. Oh man, what the hell? <laughs> so Yesler tells Doctor Ryu that she looks different, and he's like, I don't know. Is it your hair? And then I love this where she yeah, she's she got cut, bangs, man. She cut her bangs to cover up that scar on her forehead. Yesler's kind of talking to her here. They're having a moment, and he's just about to sit down, and then Broom gets there. That's who she was waiting for. It seems like she's like really kind of more enjoying her time with Yesler because he's just being like, hey, what's up? Right. He, and he's just treating her normal. And Yesler, he kind of goes off. He he leaves the professor and Dr. Ryu. And they sit down to talk. Dr. Ryu says, I've been on pins and needles ever since the comment you made. Experience with this sort of thing. What sort of thing exactly? And he says, this idea of objects, creatures traveling between worlds is not unknown to me. Uh, he tells her about Hellboy. You never had clearance, Anna, but I checked with Colonel Betts in the State Department, and you have it now. As I said, they failed to win the war, but a gateway was opened, and a creature did come through. And we see now Fumara's version of the Hellboy picture from, the, from when he arrived on Earth. Also like his uh, Rasputin as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. He does a great job of that. And Dr. Ryu's kind of shocked by this whole thing, right? How many different artists have we seen do this picture? I think this will be the third one. Okay. Or fourth. Yeah, because I feel like we see it like all the time. Yeah. It's kind of hard to remember which artist. It's one of those staples like the scene with Hellboy and Kate. We've seen that a couple times, too. And she's shocked that the professor's raising Hellboy. He's like, everybody reacts that way, but if you met him, you'd understand. He's just like any little boy, really. Loves baseball and movies and cap guns. What he's trying to point out to her is that he does know that there are gateways between the different realities. We cut over to Dr. Ryu afterwards, and she's writing in her journal... We don't get a lot of scenes like this, right? With the This is kind of like the thought boxes, but I like the way that this works. I like the way... um... It looks like the notebook paper. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. there's there's a reason for it. She's literally writing this in a notebook. So it's not so much like someone's walking around thinking this or something. It's She's writing her thoughts down. So yeah. I, I, it, it's a little bit 
it's a little bit uh, less intrusive than the well, and, problems. Yeah. And we've set up that she's a scientist yeah. too, you know, and that her, this guy is being introduced in the 80s about her. So they must have gone back and kind of looked at some of her stuff. And, you know, also keeps probably just keeps like copious notes. Right. And she's like, she doesn't believe that Hellboy is harmless. And so she's a little worried about that. He mentioned that he was raising him. The very words suggest that the picture I saw was of indeed only an infant. And again, I have to ask, raising him to be what? And what did you guys think of this Beast of the Apocalypse? Fucking awesome. She's got a easy looking. Uh, it, it, she's got a really good imagination. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have the uh, flaming crown, but uh, you got this flaming heart. Yeah. And the devil horns. Or yeah. Crushing all horns. the people bones. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, so she's got a really good good imagination. And just then she sees a shape outside of her window, so she screams out, and they all come to check on her. They're combing the grounds for the intruder, but they didn't find anybody. And so she gets kind of pissed. They're going to like just dismiss all of that, like they don't believe her. There's this weird little moment where she gives, uh, I guess this is Yesler again, she gives him back the jacket and Broom's like, oh, that's your jacket. Right, so there's like, it seems like there's a little bit of a jealousy thing there. There's kind of like a little yeah. bit of tension there. Yeah. Dr. Ryu, she's kind of venting to Broom that nobody believes her. And she's like, you know, why would one be sneaking around over here? And why would it come near my bungalow? And the professor says, Anna, I think I have your answer to that. And we focus in on the Enkelodite. And we get chapter four. <laughs> I fucking love this cover. I think I, I did a screenshot of it what was the last night I texted you. I fucking love... I'm yeah. like, no, wait, wait. What did I say? I'm in fucking in love with this cover. Yeah. <laughs> really, really cool cover with Anders. He's really becoming his own character, you know? Yeah. I really enjoy that. I like how we can, like, kind of spin off these different characters, too. We cut to Anders, and he's out there in a Jeep, and he's just looking at these birds. And then we cut to Broom, and he's like, escaped, right? So Anders was being held in that room, and he took one of those Jeeps and went out there. I like how he's like, you said he was on lockdown. What exactly does lockdown mean to you? Right. <laughs> Broom says, we'd all be better off with Anders in a county jail than roaming the desert in a stolen Jeep. And so the Sergeant Yesler, he mentions that the Jeep was almost empty, so he couldn't have gotten very far. The professor says he'll put his man on this when it comes right down to it anders isn't your problem he's the bureau's problem my problem they cut over to the team they were supposed to be meeting with broom and so he didn't show up to that too she looks so much like katherine hepburn right here oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh it's this guy freeman he's saying that it's outrageous that broom's not there for the meeting you want to do that one daniel it's outrageous <laughs> <laughs> and so she's like why the hostility dr freeman you were all smiles when trevor showed up is it because your atomic tests are threatened by his support of my theories? And so she's like, he's on my side. You know what I mean? So then he comes in and the professor, he kind of mentions, he has this other theory. Freeman's like, you know, I think you overestimate your professor's influence. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The professor mentions that something visited Dr. Ryu last night. She saw something outside of her window and he says that he believes her. And I'll tell you why. Last night I was on the phone with my assistant back in Connecticut doing some research. Research which, I confess, should have been completed before I came out. This area, the land we're standing on, once was a mecca for shamanistic rituals. Beyond that, in the 1880s, a powerful coven was established here among settlers. The 1880s was lost and gone forever. And so we see this, this woman here holding lightning. 
And so that's Eris, right? Yeah. From is, that, is that Kaler down on the bottom of the corner? Yeah, that looks like Kaler down there. And then even that dog that was made out of stone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I like that. Uh, good little flashback. So the professor mentions that the area is geomantic. So this area specifically is what is causing these branches in reality. And we've mentioned geomancy before. That's where Johan mentioned geomancy in the area where Kothahem was able to come out in the Black Flame. Now she's kind of pissed that he brought this theory up because first he was kind of on her side. And then now like he's mentioning, oh, no, it's just because of the specific area that they're doing the tests on. So then we cut to Stegner and the team. They're out there. Now they have to look for Anders and they're not happy about it. They found his Jeep, but he's not there. So Stegner's like, we don't see him anywhere, but it's not how far he gets. It's what he'll do when he gets there. So we cut over to Anders. This is really crazy. So there's like all these birds like surrounding this thing, Uh, right? The vultures. yeah. Yeah. And we see like a boot there, just like a foot. And so Anders approaches this mass of birds I really like how Fumara draws this thing. You get the sense that there's a lot of energy, like they're all eating something or they're all, you know, doing something in that pile. And Andrew shoots his gun and they all kind of disappear and we reveal one of those bear monster things underneath. And he shoots at it. This is a really cool scene because like he's like totally still and just rapidly firing at this thing and it's like running towards it and it's getting closer and closer and then it dies like just a couple like inches from him. It's a very cool action thing. Yeah. And then were they just eating on these dead bodies over here? Yeah, so those are the missing agents that they were looking for. So we cut back over to Dr. Ryu and Dr. Broom talking and yeah, so she doesn't like his theory. She was like she was all on board until he started bringing up like shamans and uh geomantic and she's like I'm a fucking scientist. <laughs> right. Well, I think also it has to now he's not really supporting uh, her anti-atomic testing right, kind of right. theory. The professor mentions that his theory is that it was drawn, you know, the reason she saw a creature come to her place last night was it was drawn to the piece of enkelodite that she had on her desk. And he says that the desert glass has geomantic properties, but amplified, distorted by the effects of the blast. I believe, in fact, that the area of enkelodite could itself be the gateway between another plane and your own. And so that's why I wanted that stuff. I was like, yeah. But I guess they're so small, like no monsters could come through there. Maybe like a tiny monster. Maybe like a gnat version. Gnat monster. Like a monster. Yeah, from, from from that world could maybe pass through that. I don't know. And so the colonel, he loves this idea because he's like, oh, we'll just do our test somewhere else, right? We'll just right. go somewhere else that's not here. And we can continue, you know, blowing things up and using our atomic weapons. And Dr. Ryu, she tries to talk to the colonel like, this is not actual science. This is sorcery that he's talking about. I'm following established theories and objective standards. I think I can show you that nuclear fission itself, not local hoodoo, is allowing these creatures into our world. Bring me a team of physicists and give me some time to run some tests. That's all I ask. And he's like, we don't have time for that. You know, we don't have a budget for that. So she just leaves. And Broom says they need to start destroying all the glass. Restore the earth to its original condition as best we're able. We cut over to Dr. Ryu and she's looking at the autopsied creature that they had earlier. And she's talking with Yesler more about her theory. 
And the professor comes up. He tries to talk to her. He asks the sergeant to give them a moment. And she's like, I'm afraid he can't, Trevor. The colonel wants him to guard me. So he's like, yeah, that's right, professor. You heard him. I can't let her out of my sight. So they go outside. And here they kind of, yeah, and they're just kind of having a fight out here about, he's trying to explain his side. and But she says that he just gave the colonel a total pass on nuclear testing. And he's like, look, that, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. How are we in the middle of like a political debate now? And she says, you're not the same man who walked in here a few days ago, are you? And he's like, what is that supposed to mean? And so he turns around and Yesler's right there. You know, he kind of raised his voice at her and then the sergeant immediately came out. So the professor just kind of looks at him and then he just walks off. It's almost like they had preconceived notions of who each other were before they right, actually got to yeah. know each other. Yeah. Back at the Fairfield, Connecticut headquarters, we see Archie and little Hellboy's locked himself in a room. You know, even Margaret comes over to kind of get him to open up. And so little Hellboy says, it's not an emergency. I'm fine. Just leave me alone, okay? Does that little note on there say Lobster Jr.? Oh, it does say that. That is so cute. Archie tells Margaret what happened. What happened with Hellboy trying on the hat and how he laughed at him. Margaret says, I swear, Archie, they may make them thicker than you somewhere, but not around here. Nothing about our situation is normal. Sure, Peanut, he's special. And living here at the Bureau, that's no way to raise a kid. But he is a kid, and he doesn't want to be special. He wants to be just like everybody else. Laugh with him all you like, but never at him. And we see little Hellboy, he's saying outside the window. We kind of get to see his room, too, and the stuff that he has in there. Looks like he has a picture of the professor meeting with the president. Is that supposed to be... FDR. Oh, it does kind of look like FDR. But I like I like his little comics. He's got one like the terror and the lobster and you know the wag, oh, yeah. the wagon with the with his books in it. Yeah, the books are surrounded by a little. It's just like a little kid's room. It's it's great. And then but a little Hellboy sat on the window makes me sad. Yeah, this is where things started to get tough for him. And we cut over to Broom. He's pretty dejected after all this stuff happened. And he opens the door and Favara's there with the vodka. And she's like, ah, Professor, look who comes to cheer you up. And he just says, not today, Vivara. Not now. And she looks so hurt. She's so hurt by him. Yeah. We cut back to the Stegner and his team. They're still out there looking for Anders. And Stegner mentions that they don't want to continue looking for him after dark. At night, we won't even see him coming. And so they turn around and Anders is right there behind them. He's like, you shouldn't have come here. And Stegner starts to get pissed at him. He's like, we could have shot you, you know, you're sneaking up on us. Like, give me your weapon, you're relieved of duty as of now. Yeah, and they just start fighting, right? Uh, Stegner punches Anders. They're talking about how they're wasting their time looking for him. When there's a real job to be done. Your goddamn job, by the way. And Anders says, I know what my job is, Stegner. And I'm doing my job. And he takes the gun and he just starts shooting and you're like, what the fuck? What is he shooting at? And then when you turn the page, that bird thing is coming down right on them. Just an amazing splash image by Fumara. This thing is crazy looking. Man, this cover. I mean. <laughs> yeah, the Chapter 5 cover. Another great Dave Johnson cover. I love this reflection thing. Yeah, yeah where it's, it's broom, but it's also, I guess, parallel broom. Yeah. So we cut to them. They're taking all the Enkelodite, right? They have construction machines out there. And they're trying to get rid of everything, just like the professor talked about. The colonel's mentioning that a lot of people are taking some of the pieces as souvenirs. Have you thought about that? Yes, Colonel, Broom says. I've thought about it quite a bit. We cut back to Stegner and Anders. They're fighting this giant bird creature. 
And just the design on this is so incredible. All the like tentacles coming down yeah. and just really, really detailed work on here. And as they're fighting it, then these like like bear monsters also start coming out at them. Bear, so Kyle goes for the gorilla. grenades. Huh? Bear monkey gorilla line. Yes. <laughs> And Kyle goes for the grenades. And this guy's like, my gun, throw me my gun. And then this, the bird monster just takes him up into the air. Right? But Andrews was the one who had his gun. He was yeah. the one. So that he left that guy unarmed. And Kyle's able to get over to the grenade launcher and blow up these creatures. This bird one finally gets Kyle right here at the end. Well, it's kind of coming down on him. It kind of cuts away at the last minute. Yeah, then we yeah. cut back to Kaler's Tavern. That's a great scene. Like, he's loading the grenade launcher just to kind of get it, but it looks like it's too late as it's coming down on him. Right. At Kaler's Tavern, Dr. Ryu is there with Yesler, and she's talking about how he changed so quickly. And Yesler's like, he doesn't really seem like a bad guy. It's not a matter of being bad, Dr. Ryu says. He can seem nice and still be wrong. The lunacy about magical properties the soil has, and that destroying all the Enkelidite is going to make any difference. And so she's like, we're going to lose all that data. And they're kind of making a connection here, right? Yesler and Dr. Ryu. See, I can, on the one hand, I can understand where she's coming from because it is a very scientific thing, but she, but she just outright dismisses, you know, Broom because of the magic thing. But and honestly, I'm very scientific-minded. If you were to come up and start talking to me about magic, I would dismiss right, it too. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and she's like, she also feels like she has actual knowledge of quantum mechanics, and that's being minimized over Professor Broom's theories. Right. And she starts explaining her theory on these creatures. She thinks that they're a counterpart to Homo sapiens, that it could be an analog creature. And if it is, they're as smart as we are. Maybe they have a purpose for being here. Whereas the lower creatures are overly violent, these humanoids might be more insidious. Because something, something is changing people around here. See Almost the face a- in her wine glass. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that little detail. That is so awesome. Yeah. But her theory here and then this imagery behind her, like, does she think that the professor is changing too, right? It seems like that's what she's thinking. I was thinking it was more like, kind of like, you know, this is what she sees as like the human version. I didn't think she was saying it was the actual she's professor. Right. But then there was that moment where she said, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but she was like, you're not the same man that you were when you walked in here. And he was like, what does that mean? Yeah. So anyway, she offers him a drink too, but he's like, I'm still on duty. Anyway, I never said you sounded crazy. So they're starting to make a connection there too. And we cut back to this bird creature. Yeah, it came down on them. It was too late. We see that Kayo is being totally, he's, (laughs) yeah, he's being totally ripped apart by its talons. And this bear monster, Andrews, is able to take that one out at the last minute. But just the the motion of this and the way that Fumara's style is on these monsters, I just really enjoy just all the little line work, all the detail in this thing as it's coming down. Right. At the last minute, as Kayo's dying, he's able to get the grenade launcher off at the last minute, so it kind of blows the whole thing up. Yeah, just really awesome action. So on this next page... Looks like Andrews is just emptying his gun on the remains of this thing. He, he's he's really lost it at this point. Yeah. We cut back over to Broom and Stegner kind of meets up with him and he's like, hey, we need to talk. Ron Kyo's dead and Pike too. The professor's like, what happened? That big dragon thing is what Stegner says. Kyle managed to kill it though. The rest of us were pretty useless. 
And Anders, Broom says, Oh, now don't worry about your little pal Anders. He's doing great. I made sure of that. And we see Anders has been handcuffed. It was pretty rough out there. We might have lost men no matter what. But Anders' selfish crap pretty much guaranteed Pike's death. You had to make us go look for him. You had to waste our time on a punk plane hooky when we were supposed to be monster hunting. You never should have distracted us like that. And Broom's like, if I had just let him go, then what? We might have lost one more man. Or one less, Stegner says. We saved his life in France, but I'll tell you what, I'd have traded him today for Kyo and Pike. Get it through your head. Anders isn't just crazy, he's dangerous. He's not fit to be on the team, mine or anybody's. You understand? You lost two men today, Professor. Dump that psycho before you lose another. And he just walks off. And the professor's just kind of left there. And then he walks a couple feet and then he sees Yesler with Dr. Ryu. Just hanging out and having a good time. Having a great time, yeah. And he's like, you don't look so hot. Is something going on? As I can see, you're off duty. I don't want to ruin your night, Broom says. Anyway, that isn't why I'm here. He asks Dr. Ryu for that piece of Enkelodite back. And she's like, I'm afraid I can't help you. See for yourself. It's gone. Feel free to have a look around. It's nowhere to be found. And Yesler says, maybe the colonel sent somebody for it. And Broom was like, I was with him all day. What could have happened? Who knows? Maybe it was magic, Dr. Ryu says. And Broom is like, I see. And I love that panel of his face. Like, he knows that they're, like, kind of mocking him. And yeah. they're kind of right, you know, um, they've she, obviously done something with the piece of Enkelodite. Yeah, I mean, she probably sent it away or she's hidden it or something. Yeah, because she was with Yesler and she was like, we're going to lose, think of all that data that we're going to lose. And he wouldn't drink at the time because he was on duty, but now he's off duty, so he, yeah. so he has a glass of uh, whiskey or something. Yeah, so they've been hanging out probably since he came off duty. Yesler invites Broom to hang out with them, but he says, I don't think so. Almost since I came to Utah, I've not been myself, really. Not thinking clearly. The worst of it is, I've been less of a leader to my men. I need to address that immediately. You two enjoy your evening. And Dr. Ryu's like, good night, Trevor. And he says, goodbye, Anna. And he walks off. We cut back to 1983 in Grayland, Illinois. And so D Yesler just, uh, now he's an old man. We cut back to him and he's just finished telling the reporter this story. He says it's all declassified now, but we kept it under our hats for years. He's like, anyway, that's how we met. Don't yeah, mark, really. Right, really. Please, right so, so he ended up with Dr. Ryu, you know, pretty much, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what, we don't know what the circumstances of her death is here, but. It's been almost 40 years. So. Yeah. So she probably just passed away. Right. And the reporter asks if there were any more monster attacks. And Yesler says, no more sightings after the first bunch of creatures were killed. Oh, yeah. The reporter's like, so this Professor Broom, and it's spelled Broom right. in quotes. Yeah. At this point, Yesler's like, nuclear bombs, nuclear waste are still very dangerous. And so, because the reporter is kind of realizing that the nuclear bombs didn't really have anything to do with it. You know yeah. what I mean? It was the area that was causing this. And so Yesler kind of starts to get upset about this. He says, son, I don't like the direction this is going. And he's like, did you ever talk to the professor again to apologize? And he's like, apologize? Yeah, yeah. So he's pretty upset by that. He starts to cut off the interview at this point, And he tells him, maybe I'll call you. But right now I want all this stuff out of here. And so they go outside and they're like, you blew that, you know, you blew the rest of that story. And he's like, nah, you know, I'll talk to him tomorrow, but I know what our next feature is going to be. And so we get the idea that this reporter is going to look into the BPRD in Connecticut. Oh yeah. She's like, I, I told you about that last year. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what? That was Ghost and Bigfoot. This is something more. 
we cut over to Broom. He's in the car and he's being driven back to the Fairfield, Connecticut office. And Vavara is in the car with him. She says, it's shame you lost your pretty friend, but is for best. No, you have your agent Anders to occupy your time and your conscience. And Professor's like, how much longer is this ride? (laughs) (laughs) Not more than 10 minutes, damn. Yeah, and so Vavara says, the driver is why you don't speak. So the Professor's not talking back to her because there's somebody there. You know what I mean? Because she's, I guess she's not really there, right? Only he can hear her and see her. That's the way it seems to be portrayed. And then she's even saying stuff like, you, you and I are comrades of the mind. Right, right, yeah. And so she says, tell me, I am your sister confessor. I will listen. And so he still doesn't say anything. There's a beat of silence. And she's like, professor, if you think to ignore, and the professor goes, Paul, please let me out here. And the driver's like, sir, it's at least another five miles to the headquarters. And he's like, that's all right. I need the air. And so we see Broom just walking off. So he just got out of the car. So that way, so the whole story, he kind of pushed Vavara away. Whereas earlier he was kind of working with her and, you know, willing to communicate with her to get his information here. He's not wanting to have any part of that anymore. And back at the bureau, they're like, this is nuts. His plane landed an hour ago. So they're wondering why Broom hasn't showed up. They're like, if he doesn't show up, we'll never get Red out of there. So he, Hellboy's still been locked in the bathroom. And he hasn't left his room at all, Margaret says. Well, Clancy swears he saw the kid in the boiler room last night, Archie says. And his tool belt is missing. But the way he drinks, pink elephants could have made off with it. Besides, what the heck would the little fellow want with a tool belt? And we cut inside the bathroom and we see the... Oh, uh, so sad. Yeah, we see that little hellboy has the saw and he's so looking at himself sad. in the mirror right this was like the saddest Thanks. fucking thing i mean the, the story in and of itself was like great and all this but then it ends on this and i'm like it's heart-wrenching yeah <laughs> i want to give him a hug i know say hey buddy everything's gonna be okay yeah that was a sad way to kind of end that one yeah the look on little hellboy's face so i guess this is where it all started this is where he started cutting Chopping back horns his horns off. yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm fine with him cutting back of horns if that's what he wants to do for himself. But doing it because he, I don't know, for this reason, just it breaks my heart. Yeah, there was a couple of things in the sketchbook that I wanted to look at really quick. So uh, if you're on the omnibus version, we're looking at page 448. So this is that Year of Monsters cover. And I, I finally completed the Year of Monsters collection. Yay. I was waiting on one. I was trying nice. to get this last one and I finally got it. Which one were you waiting on? Was it uh, this one? I was trying to get no, I was I was trying to get the one with Lobster Johnson and the Werewolf, and I got it for thirteen dollars. Nice. I didn't pay more than twenty bucks for any of them. I always look for deals. But this is a cool cover. Yeah, so that's one of the Year of Monsters covers. We'll probably talk about those a little bit more as we go along. I love Fumara's character designs for the different characters. Just like seeing all the different sketches. And I just like the way he draws faces. But one thing I wanted to point out. So he's got a bunch of sketches of little Hellboy. But then on this one page, 456, he's got what Hellboy would have looked like a year later. After the story. The little young teenage Hellboy. Did you see that one? Yeah. Super cute. Yeah. And this is where he started to... Um, trim the horns and so he looks a little bit more like the hellboy that we've seen but he's just kind of like smaller right he he looks he looks like a scrawny teenager yeah yeah i really like that (laughs) that picture with him and broom yeah yeah it's cute and then we we see more of fumara's monster designs too 
These are notes by Scott Alley. He says, We already love Max's work, but his monster designs for 1948 proved he was someone we needed to keep around. So maybe we'll see Fumara on another series. Cool. I hope so. I really enjoyed the art. (laughs) Yeah, and the same goes for Dave Johnson, and we get some of his... uh, I like, you know, we kind of see how he was planning out the different covers. You can kind of see his thought process in designing the cover for issue two. So was this one actually going to be a BPRD Hell on Earth? I think cover? maybe those were maybe just the samples that he had to paint on or something like that. Because uh, okay. if you turn it, a, if you turn the page again, see he like crossed it out on this one in uh. 1948. <laughs> I really love this 1948 series. I just really like the idea of the Ankelidide and all that kind of stuff. What did, what did you think about all that? Man, this series was a lot of fun. I mean, it was cool. It was cool to see Broom in his younger days. The Enkelidite was cool. You know, the whole thing where, like, you know, one of our listener feedback uh, said about um, the Supernatural wasn't well-known and Hellboy hadn't been introduced oh, yeah, to the world. yeah, And so then seeing this story here with Dr. Rhea just kind of downright completely dismissing uh, right, fucking yeah. everything that... Broom was saying, he's, you know, she's like, magic, fuck you. I'm a fucking scientist, man. I, I, I do my science. You know I me. Mean? I'm all I'm all about the science. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally respect her opinion. And in the real world, I completely agree. But this is not the real world. This is the, the yeah. universe. And uh, you got to open your mind up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, I really love these 1940s series. And we'll get a little bit more of this stuff on our next episode. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody, share us your thoughts on the BPRD 1948. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link on our Facebook page. Also, be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse and all the wonderful content you get there. And once again, thank you, Paul from Gardaharn, for the wonderful theme. Uh, you can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we're going to be talking about the VPRD Vampires and Lost Ones. So, you know what to do. Pull out your back issues, your trades, your omnibuses, your library editions. You know what to do. And join us along. You know what to do at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And join us along for the next exciting episode of the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, someone should call Oppie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 